Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Phenomenal. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. You can't be Black-owned media and be scared. It's time to be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You dig?
Today is Thursday, July 7th, 2022. Roland Martin Unfiltered, broadcasting live from the Mayflower Hotel here in Washington, D.C. with the National Bar Association. We'll hold a dinner honoring attorney Fred Gray, one of the 17 recipients of the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Coming up on the Black Side Network, we'll show you uh, what took place at the White House today, uh, where those honorees were given the highest nations, the nation's highest honor, but Denzel Washington, one of the honorees, was not there. We'll tell you why. Also, Brittany Griner has, has pleaded guilty in a Russian courtroom. Uh, she said it was not her intent to bring drugs into Russia. We'll explain to you what that means with uh, legal expert Candace Kelly. Also on today's show, protests continue in Akron as a black man was shot at 90 times by police, 60 of those shots hitting him and killing him. Uh, also uh, on uh, today's show, we'll also tell you what happened with Derek Chauvin, how he's going to spend more time in prison for the death of George Floyd. It is time to bring the funk. I'm Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the fine. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. With entertainment just for kicks, he's rolling. Hey, folks, today in a Russian court, WNBA star Brittany Griner pled guilty to drug charges. She was led into court in handcuffs. And during her uh, trial today, uh, her attorneys entered that plea deal, uh, excuse me, that guilty plea. Uh, she made it clear that she did not intend uh, to bring drugs into the country. She told the judge she wanted to take responsibility for her actions. Afterwards, her attorney spoke to the media. And did Brittany say what uh, made her take this decision today? Do you have any explanation for why she decided? She's a responsible person, and uh, she admitted that uh, it was uh, her, hers, but she said that it was unintentionally brought to, to Russia because she was in a, in a hurry as she was packing, and it was just... By accident, it ended up in, in her luggage. Considering her personality and that she is a role model to many people, to many young people, she just thinks she should be responsible for her actions. The prosecution was reading the medical um, certificates, uh, and they what did they, the medical certificate said that uh, the, no drugs were found in her urine and uh, uh, her blood. Am I right? Well, they were reading just the, all the evidence that they have on the files. Yeah. Yes, you're right. Yes, that's... Can you tell, uh, give us the full answer? Well, I think we will probably comment on this during the next court session when we will be presenting our evidence. But uh, right now, like, uh, nothing was found in uh, your test examples. She was clean and she was tested, but... Yeah. And what, uh, what is she going, like, uh, what will be the next hearing? 
the defense will start to present their evidences and their witnesses. Why give a guilty plea impartial today? She it will she'll give fuller testimony to later. So why 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 announce it today? Uh, because the prosecution ended their part, and uh, it was the start of uh, the uh, the part of of the defense. And and later during the trial, she will have the possibility to uh, explain uh, herself more thoroughly. And, and also mitigating factors, is that the idea? To explain mitigating factors for why? Of course. Yes. Uh, Griners will be back in court in July 14th. Joining us right now is legal analyst Candace Kelly. Candace, glad to have you here. Uh, here is the speculation, Candace, that she mm -hmm. needed to plead guilty in order for there to be a prisoner swap. That previously happened with another American who was being held there by Russia. And, and Roland, you're exactly right. She needed to plead guilty because when we come to the table and you want to make some concessions and even be in a position of negotiating power and have that leverage, you have to say, I give a little bit of this and you give me a little bit of that. She had to plead guilty to go through the system, to go through the, the court system. I won't say the justice system because, as we know, the Russian court system, when you go to court in Russia and the court that she's in, it's expected that she's going to be convicted. There's no question about justice. It's just a question about how long will she be sentenced. So all of these wills had to go into motion where she had to plead guilty. And I think behind the scenes, her wife, the people who are supporting her the most, they have had it with the Biden administration. They have had it with the lack of negotiation. They've had it with the fact that Biden waited all the way till yesterday after to say, listen, I'm terrified. Don't forget about me. On this July 4th, my father, he served in the Vietnam War. Her wife, Cheryl, is tired of it. So they went behind the scenes and they came up with their own strategy. And this was part of the negotiation. Plead guilty and we're going to do it our own way because the Biden administration has not satisfied us enough. And that's where we are right now, Roland. But, but let's be honest here. The Biden administration didn't have many options here. There's a war going on between Ukraine and the Russians. The Americans are supporting Ukraine in a significant way. This also is a huge a political tool for Vladimir Putin to hold against the United States. So really, what options did the American government actually have? Well, listen, the, the fact that they were negotiating behind the scenes and it seemingly, it seemed like they were telling Brittany Griner's people, listen, just hold back for a moment. We're doing what we can do. Well, here we are seven months later. They're asking, what have you done? You haven't even given us a call. A call would be good so that when Brittany gives me a letter in the mail because I haven't spoken to her on the phone, I can tell her, hey, listen, the Biden administration reached out to me. At, at least that's a start. That's a beginning, giving Brittany a little hope, a little faith that she's got America behind her. And when you're over there in Russia by yourself in that particular legal system, that actually does mean a lot to know that at least some wheels are turning and that everybody's working on one accord. So they didn't have many options in terms of this is what we can do because we know that you're a political ploy, but at least have a little support. And that's what her wife and the Brittany Griner team have been saying. Can you support us? Can you give us a call? And there are plenty of families who are now coming forth and saying, hey, now that you've got your call, Cheryl Griner, we need a call, too. So it's not just about Brittany Griner. It's that there's a larger picture, as you said, in terms of exchanging political prisoners, prisoners that have been exchanged before. Now we're looking at a situation as to 
who do we actually exchange? And that's where the Biden administration is right now, albeit behind closed doors. But my guess is that something is going on in terms of that exchange at least trying to happen. They just can't show their cards right now, Roland. But historically, I mean, here's one of the things. I mean, I think back to Syria. Uh, when, when the Reagan administration uh, couldn't do anything with that government, uh, and it was Reverend Jesse Jackson Sr., uh, Minister Louis Farrakhan, Reverend Jeremiah Wright, and others who traveled over there and brought back uh, Captain Goodman. When I think about the uh, same thing uh, in uh, Iraq, when Reverend Jackson uh, went and rescued, uh, brought back American citizens dealing with Saddam Hussein. The U.S. government couldn't get anywhere with Saddam. Reverend Jackson was able to do so, uh, and of course, with, with the encouragement of Muhammad Ali. When I think about uh, soldiers, I mm. think it was uh, in Yugoslavia, if I'm correct, where, where, where Reverend Jackson brought them back. And so this, this this is one of those things where, again, a figure like Reverend Jackson uh, was, was, you know, uh, where we needed someone like that. Unfortunately, he's been impacted in a severe way by Parkinson's, but having a third party Party religious delegation, sort of legal mm. negotiations. That's typically what has happened in the past because the government was hamstrung because of the, another government of, uh, d didn't want to deal with uh, the United States. And Roland, where are they? Where are those people who are coming to the forefront to say yay or nay that we support? And well, this is what we need to do. Well, unfortunately, can unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, can is uh, unfortunately we don't have a lot of we don't have form. We don't have a lot of black leaders frankly, Correct. who had the stature of Reverend Jackson to be able to go do that. True. But it's interesting that you mentioned stature, because when we talk about Brittany Griner, she's a rock star over there. People know her name over here. But we just have not seen kind of this continuous support and, and, and media blitz mm -hmm. and information about her, you know, all, for all these months that we would see. LeBron James wouldn't have been over there that long. Let's be real. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a black. Well, well, first, well first of all, yes. for, first of all, let's be let's be clear. LeBron James would not have to play over there for money. That's Unfortunately, right. WNBA does not pay as much, and that's one of the reasons why Brittany Griner and other WNBA stars play overseas because they can't make the same amount of money. And people need Washington to understand some of these female players are making two hundred fifty thousand, five hundred thousand, or more playing overseas mm -hmm. money. They simply will never see in the United States. Right. And it brings up a lot of questions about equity and not only the equity in terms of payment, but now that she's in this country where she was forced to play because she had to, she could get more money. How are they treating black gay women over there? Roland, how are they treating black gay women over here? We know that in Russia, they, they do not accept gays on a whole. By and large, they want them exiled. You can't even have kind of be pandered, as they say, to young people because they think it might corrupt and you can get criminally in charge. So you've got all of these factors going on. And then in the middle of this, she's this political pawn somehow when, when she was carrying hashish, which has nothing to do with politics. Now, I think that it's really interesting in terms of what her guilty uh, plea was. She said, yes, I plead guilty, but it wasn't my intent. Roland, that's two different things. She's saying guilty in order to appease the Russians so that she can move the needle in that regard. Yep. But in order to be guilty, you have to have the intent. On the other hand, she said, well, it wasn't my intent. I think it's very interesting that on the first day where she appeared in court, she wore a Jimi Hendrix T-shirt. Jimi Hendrix was someone who was tried. He was not convicted across state lines in Canada for having weed. He said, hey, listen, I had so many fans around me giving me stuff, giving me gifts. Somehow it got in my bag wasn't his intent to do it. So I think that that was good that she said, hey, it wasn't my intent because you need that. 
but it really does contradict her guilty verdict because the, the two have to coexist. But that guilty verdict, the fact that she said it, satisfied the Russians. And in her mind, in Cheryl's mind, and all the people who came to the rally for her uh, yesterday, in their minds, they hope that this will at least push the needle and give her a little leverage to kind of move this forward. At this point, they've said, hey, listen, we're looking to detain you for about six more months. One, that's because of the legal system. They don't have day-by-day, back-to-back court systems. This is not tried in front of a jury. This is tried in front of one judge. They meet once a week, two-and-a-half-hour drive for her. Her six-foot-eight self in very small, confined conditions has to go back and forth. And when she gets there, they're not going to be any Perry uh, Mason moments. The judge just reads information into a file. So that's why we're talking about, not talking about justice here. We really are just talking about what's the conviction. And she's hoping that what she's doing, what her wife's doing, what everybody's doing can kind of beat that conviction and get her over here before it even gets to that stage. Let's talk about the Derek Chauvin case. Today he pled uh, guilty, was sentenced uh, to 20 years and five months for federal hate crimes violations and the death of George Floyd. He previously had been sentenced to 22 and a half years in state prison. Uh, explain what that means. Is this more jail time? Uh, also, there was talk that he may be serving this not in state prison, but in federal prison. Uh, so w- what actually happened today in the Minneapolis courtroom? Well, what we had, as you said, that that more years were put on, it it depends upon how uh, the system will look at it. He can either do it alongside of what happens, or sometimes they are built uh, back-to-back in terms of the sentencing and the time that he serves. What we do know is that, once again, at least the courts are looking at this in a very serious way, where they are saying, this is something that you need to have accountability for. Once again, this is a precedent-making case. And so that's what we're looking at here. We're looking at Derek Chauvin and more responsibility that is going to be left on his plate. Um, uh, and, And so that's essentially what it means. We do not know yet how this is going to play out. It depends upon what the powers that be normally in this situation want it to, to, to play out in terms of if it's going to go back to back or if it's going to uh, go coincide with the time that he is already serving. Uh, now, he did uh, uh, have to admit uh, a number of different things, and this is what the Washington Post wrote. For the first time, uh, the former officer admitted that he kept his knees on Floyd's neck and body even as he heard the man saying he couldn't breathe and ultimately became unresponsive. He acknowledged he heard bystanders urging him uh, to check Floyd's pulse but did nothing and blocked others from rendering medical aid. Chauvin also said that he, quote, knew what he was doing was wrong. Now, that was when he pled guilty in December. Uh, he did not offer any sort of apology today. Uh, and so uh, so that that is that is also significant because the family, they wanted him to admit yeah. what he did was wrong. Right. This is someone who we didn't hear take the stands. Um, unlike other cases where we hear, you know, the McMichaels take the stands and, and talk about what they did or did not do. He completely circumvented that whole thing. We didn't hear his voice. So as you said, to hear his voice, if anything, it was to satisfy the families. How satisfactory must that have been for the families to know that this man knew what he was doing in the moment that he was wrong? You were right. This is significant. And it really is a a, a very strange and interesting precedent because we don't hear this from police officers. We don't hear this guilt. And this is another way for America to once again face what's going on with the police system and the accountability that they have. 
we thought about it, we wrote about it, we talked about it, Roland, but to hear him say it takes it to a totally different level that this man knew while he had his knees on that neck for overnight, what he was doing is wrong. And for some people who have, a, you know, family sore in this situation, that, that's more than they want to hear. Forget the money. They want to hear that this man knew what he was doing, accountability, and this was the most accountability that we have had for him from him over these years. Uh, and again, as part of the deal, federal prosecutors allowed for the citizens to be concurrent, which means that he may he likely is going to be transferred to a federal prison. Remember, this is one of the things that the Ahmaud Arbery family did not want to happen in the case of the white supremacists who killed Ahmaud Arbery. They wanted them to serve their time in state prison, believing that is far more rigorous uh, and frankly, uh, nastier or meaner than federal prison. And indeed it is. The state prison is nastier. It's meaner. Um, you have people who you are, he's going to be alongside if he does go into a state prison who know and have faced people like him outside and they are going to get revenge. That's just what happens. They are waiting for him. His people know it. He knows it. And he doesn't want that. Federal prison, it's a little bit nicer in terms of kind of the rewards that you get for good behavior. Um, uh, it's, it's a better situated uh, system in terms of how it looks, how it feels, sleeping, eating, all of that is a slightly higher level than a state prison. So uh, that would be certainly another victory for the families that he's not going to uh, live his sentence inside something that that might be, uh, you know, a, a, a lighter sentence in terms of a federal prison that is going to go hard in a state prison. So certainly they're hoping for that. A lot of us are hoping for that because that certainly is what he deserves. All right, Kenneth Kelly, we certainly appreciate it. Thanks a lot. All right. Good to see you, Roland. Likewise, folks, going to break. We come back on my panel. We'll break down these two stories. Plus, we'll talk about uh, today's uh, Presidential Medal of Freedom ceremony at the White House. 17 of great Americans were honored by President Joe Biden. We'll show you what took place and hear from folks uh, after the ceremony, including two of the medal recipients. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network. Back in a moment. impacted by the culture, whether we know it or not. From politics to music and entertainment, it's a huge part of our lives, and we're going to talk about it every day right here on The Culture with me, Faraji Muhammad, only on the Black Star Network. Hi, I'm Pastor Jackie Hood-Martin, and I have a question for you. Ever feel as if your life is teetering and the weight and pressure of the world is consistently on your shoulders? Well, let me tell you, living a balanced life isn't easy. Join me each Tuesday on Black Star Network for a balanced life with Dr. Jackie. We'll laugh together, cry together, pull ourselves together, and cheer each other on. So join me for new shows each Tuesday on Black Star Network, a balanced life with Dr. Jackie. Hey, I'm Amber Stevens West. Yo, what up, y'all? This is Jay Ellis, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered.
All right, folks, welcome back to Roland Martin Unfiltered. We are here at the Mayflower Hotel where the National Bar Association is holding a dinner in honor of attorney Fred Gray, one of the 17 Presidential Medal of Freedom recipients. Let's bring in my panel right now. Uh, glad to have them uh, on the show. Erica Savage, founder of the Reframed Brain. Glad to have you back on the show, Erica. Reese Colbert, Black Women Views. Also, Dr. Greg Carr with the Department of Afro American Studies at Howard University. Um, Reese, I want to start with you. Uh, there's a lot of attention, a lot of focus uh, on uh, Brittany Griner. Uh, WNBA players and others were saying, now, nation need to pay more attention to this case, and now we're seeing some movement happen here. Yeah, um, I, you know, I do want to first start off respectfully to uh, Ms. Kelly. She almost made it sound like um, there was no contact between the administration and uh, Ms. Cheryl Griner when we saw just on the show on Tuesday when I hosted that um, she had been in contact with the Secretary of the State, uh, Anthony Blinken, as well as the National Security Advisor, uh, Jake Sullivan. These are not peons. These are not small-time people in the administration. So I just want that to be clear. She hadn't spoken to the president of the United States, which most people don't get a chance to speak to, but, you know, pressure works. And so she was granted an audience with the president and vice president, and she was satisfied with what she was um, told during that meeting, and uh, she felt encouraged by it. And so I just want to put that out there because it just sounded a little, it sounded almost like she, they were blowing her off, which I don't believe to be the case. And they had classified her as wrongfully detained two months ago. So I, 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 there are a lot of things that happen behind the scenes. This, this is a delicate political situation. It's not all, it doesn't always play out on social media. It doesn't always play out to where everybody can, can feel good about the movement that's happening, but that doesn't mean nothing was happening. But anyway, on another note, um, a, another thing I just wanted to say is people shouldn't take her pleading guilty at face value. You know, we have a dims the rules kind of people. Well, if you broke, you did a crime, got to do the time, and she broke the rules, and what was she doing over there, and yada, yada, yada. Uh, but, you know, obviously there's a strategy here. I don't know if you guys were paying attention, but um, not you, y'all, but, you know, maybe the audience. Uh, but they said they didn't find any uh, drugs in her urine or in her blood. You know, so this is not a person who's a heavy drug user. She's clearly not a drug smuggler, which is why she was facing 10 years. They tried to make it seem like she was part of an international drug ring. So I think that um, hopefully if this is what it takes to help move the needle forward and help expedite the process, hopefully that helps her out because she was going to get convicted anyway. There's a 99% pres uh, conviction rate in Russia. It's not uh, the trial that even we have here, which isn't always fair either. So, I'm, I, I'm, I mean, I can't say I'm encouraged, but I'm just really hoping that there's some really good strategy behind this. But the other thing, too, I, I just I wonder where Ms. Kelly got the idea that this was somehow in defiance of the administration or taking matters into their own hands. That just seemed, like, kind of out of nowhere. Um, for all we know, it could have been in, in consult with them. So um, I would just be careful. I know that it's, it's really easy to pounce on the administration. And I'm not trying to defend them and say they've been perfect, but... I think we should also make sure we're putting out accurate information. Uh, Erica, your thoughts again on this Griner case. Uh, and one of the things early on, the Biden administration um, did ask folks uh, not to raise the decibel, if you will. Uh, there are a number of WNBA players who talked about that as well because they wanted this to be uh, in terms of, they said, look, it was delicate private negotiations and certainly understanding her family members uh, wanting action to, to be done here. 
We cannot discount the reality, though, that Vladimir Putin doesn't give a damn what we say. He controls this whole process. Oh, absolutely, Roland. He is judge, jury, and he will issue the verdict. One thing I also want to mention is that I talked about this a couple of days ago on another program, is that I served as an emissary a couple of years ago in the effort of a freeing of a political prisoner. And I can tell you from a national standpoint, from a faith standpoint, from um, a local standpoint, that it really is all hands on deck. And just to for people to be aware that in 2015, under the Obama administration, the special presidential envoy for hostage affairs was set up. So this is something that President Biden, um, having been vice president at that time, is intimately aware of. And there are two leaders, in addition to the leaders that Reese member, that are well-versed and very capable. And so I would caution um, additionally as well is for people to listen to the information. Trevor Reed, a spokesperson for his camp, he was um, detained in Russia for a period of years. Spokesperson said that, listen, you know, Trevor was detained and did not want to sign a document um, to his guilt until the last few days. And that's when he was released. So this is due process. It's very delicate. I can say during that time period, you know, I, I said practically nothing. And so, you know, it's just now that I'm kind of sharing a bit about that process. So, you know, to Reese's point, as you know, we are flooded and just used to this level of as soon as something happens, is made available on social media. When you're talking about, um, she was, uh, BG was one of 70 WNBA players that was in Russia at the time, the only one that was detained. Um, as her lawyer, her legal team said that she was clean, there was nothing in her system, um, that she is a queer woman, black, uh, and a WNBA uh, player, high profile. We know that Vladimir Putin, as a former KGB officer, um, keeps dossiers. He's very aware of what's happening in his country. So I think for people to really take all of the information in that we're receiving and just know that just because we're not seeing it play out as we would a movie, as we would see something frame by frame on social media, does not mean something that's happening. But it also um, want to go to the pressure campaign uh, that is moved forward with the signatures of many people, myself included, um, that have called for her release, that this is something that definitely has worked in favor of BG. However, the delicate balance of ensuring that uh, BG is freed and that those conversations are happening um, with relationship to her um, freedom. Again, as Reese said, our government has said that she was wrongfully detained. And so this is something that people want to be engaged. There was just um, a rally in Arizona with a congressperson from out in Arizona that um, her coach from the Phoenix Mercury just had. And so they're issuing support. So, you know, if people want to find out if perhaps there's a caucus group within their particular congressperson's um, area that they're connected with, do that. Please sign the petition. Please keep her name lifted above the fold so that uh, we know that BG is not forgotten. But be aware that just because we don't see it does not mean that things are not, in fact, happening because they are. And look, Greg, I mean, you have the folks who are saying that, well, if this was Stephen Curry, if this is LeBron James, uh, th th this would not be happening. 
but you also can't overlook the reality uh, in terms of the pay inequities and the differences uh, in these uh, different sports. An NBA player doesn't have to go overseas. It's the players who don't make the cut in the NBA who play overseas. The fact of the matter is that women's sports, especially basketball in this country, simply is not even close uh, to the NBA. The NBA is almost a 10 to $12 billion a year uh, entity. Uh, the WNBA teams lose money. Those are those are facts. That's why female professional players have to have to go overseas to get paid well. And that's why she was in Russia. That's true, Roland. And I'm old enough to remember the American Basketball League. Look it up. That's why David Stern and and the people in the NBA started the WNBA to put the ABL out of business, which was projected to be a owner and player profit-sharing proposition. Go look it up. But at any rate, the point is this. Uh, If it was Stephen Curry or LeBron James, not only would they be in jail, uh, they would be in jail with even more press. The sexism would come in the amount of coverage, I think. Let's be very clear. Brittany Griner, BG, would be in the United States if it were in the interest of the Russian government. Let's, let's just zoom out and look for a minute. Most of the countries in the world have not picked a side between Russia and the Ukraine. They've remained noncommittal. India, which is the world's largest democracy, has blocked every or at least abstained in every U.N. resolution condemning Russia. The United States and Europe don't have the muscle to move the world. India, Brazil, Mexico, South Africa, well, most of the African countries, the Caribbean, Latin America, they're staying out of it. They're trying to see what are their economic and strategic interests. Now, you know, there was a pushback at one of the islands in the Black Sea. The Ukrainians look like they might regain control. That would open up the grain again. Because remember, the Ukraine is a breadbasket in many ways of Central Europe, and it affects Africa. People, these countries are looking at their interests. And I'm glad you mentioned Robert Goodman and Minister Farrakhan, of course, Jesse Jackson, our brother Jeremiah Wright. Saddam Hussein was trying to embarrass the United States. Understand how geopolitics works. See, this is why we have to, particularly as black people, stop looking at these things as domestic issues. That's soap opera stuff. I couldn't agree mm-hmm. more, Erica, when you start talking about this. The bottom line is this. Saddam Hussein gave that brother up because it was a thumb in the eye of the United States government. Now let's get to Brittany Griner. The name people need to Google is Victor Bout. V-I-K-T-O-N-Bout. Victor Bout was convicted in 2011 of selling guns to the FARC rebels in Colombia and imprisoned in the United States. Victor Bout's lawyer has said this week that if the United States engaged in a prisoner swap, Victor Bout for Brittany Griner, she'd be home right now. But the Justice Department is against all kind of uh, prisoner swaps. Meaning what? They're having a battle, as Reese says, in the Biden administration. And guess who's going off script? All them black people, all those people in the WNBA, all the people for social justice, the LBGT Cuban community who are, who are saying, free Britney Griner, free Britney Griner. Biden, I'm like, hey, everybody calm down. Because behind the scenes, it's not yet in Russia's interest to let her go. They're getting publicity. Hell, if LeBron James was locked up, they'd be getting more publicity. But the bottom line is nobody's coming home until these countries work out how they can make a deal that's in the best interest of the Russians. Now, all you got to do to see that there's... This is very serious, but at the same time, that there are other forces at work. Look at Alexander Boykoff. Look at her lawyer. He come in there in Hawaiian shirt, dude. No, I don't want uh-huh. nobody today. As everybody said, she's going to be convicted. And this is about the prisoner swap. Pay careful attention to the prisoner swap. Again, yeah, look up Victor Bout, and that might make it a little clearer. Yeah. Uh, indeed. All right, folks, uh, going to a break. We come back. Uh, we're going to talk Presidential Medal of Freedom. The ceremony took place today uh, at the White House, uh, honoring 17 
Amazing Americans. We'll show you what took place uh, as well as cover some other news. This is Roland Martin Unfiltered, broadcasting live from the Mayflower Hotel here in the nation's capital, Washington, D.C., where uh, in less than an hour, the National Bar Association will hold a dinner in honor of one of those recipients, Civil Rights Attorney Fred Gray, 91 years old, right here. And we'll be carrying live right here on the Black Star Network. Don't forget to, folks, support us in what we do. Download the Black Star Network app, all platforms, Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, uh, Amazon Fire TV, Roku, Xbox, Samsung Samsung uh, TV. Plus, support us in our efforts. Uh, of course, uh, folks, our goal is real simple, to get 20,000 of our fans to contribute on average 50 bucks a year. That comes out to $4.19 uh, a month, 13 cents a day. Uh, I told you all what happened, of course, the accident uh, that we had, our sprint was totaled, uh, and of course it was only insured up to 125000 and so we've got more than likely have to pay additional 75000 The second one, we're w- working on it right now. Hopefully we'll get it up in September. Uh, and so you can support us, check or ca- check our m- uh, money orders, P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037-0196. The cash app is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is R. Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zale is rolling at rollinsmartin.com rolling at rollinmartinunfilter.com we'll be right back I'm Deborah Owens America's Wealth Coach and on the next Get Wealthy what do the ultra wealthy know that most of us don't well the truth is that there is financial exclusion and unfortunately far too many black folks haven't had access to this knowledge and that's exactly what we're going to talk about on our next Get Wealthy with Melinda Hightower, a banker who's doing something to share exactly what you need to do to make it into the high net worth status. They weren't just saving just to save. They were saving for a purpose. That's right here on Get Wealthy with me, America's Wealth Coach, only on Black Star Network. Pull up a chair. Take your seat. The Black with me, Dr. Greg Carr, here on the Black Star Network. Every week, we'll take a deeper dive into the world we're living in. Join the conversation only on the Black Star Network. Hi, everybody. This is Jonathan Nelson. Hi, this is Cheryl Lee Ralph, and you are watching Roland Martin, unfiltered. I mean, could it be any other way? Really? It's Roland Martin. Lede Arnold disappeared from St. Louis, Missouri on June 26th. The seven-year-old is three feet, six inches tall. She weighs 70 pounds with black hair and brown eyes. Lede may be in the company of an adult male. Anyone with information about Lede Arnold should call the Bellafontaine Neighbors, Missouri Police Department at 636-529-8210-636-529-8210. Folks, uh, the ex-cop in Cleveland uh, who shot Tamir Rice uh, has gotten uh, a, um, uh, first of all, he's now got a new job from a police department in Pennsylvania. Now he is resigned after the news went public. Timothy Loman's attorney announced his client would quit uh, his new position after the hiring sparked outrage. The president of the Tioga Borough Council 
posted this Facebook picture of Loman's swearing-in ceremony. The photo led to some fury on the social media platform. Remember, in 2014, Loman responded to a call saying that someone was waving a gun around, shooting 12-year-old Tamir Rice shortly after arriving on the scene. Loman was never charged for Rice's death. What's crazy here, uh, 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 Erica, uh, is that uh, the mayor said he wasn't aware, wasn't aware of Loman's past. I guess they don't vet. I guess they don't use Google in this Pennsylvania town. Yeah, I just woke up and found out I was black. Um, when I tell <laughs> you I went straight to Facebook and saw how they had lit him up and righteously lit him up, this is why we have to pay attention to these uh, folks who are tax-paid um, servants of law. Um, continue to follow them because he had a job and then he lost the job. And so he's going to continue to follow that same pattern. Um, the person from within that particular council that posted that picture uh, just the other day had posted something around um, Epstein's uh, girlfriend around her sentencing and saying something smart around that. And so then people started going in to say, um, so what the hell were you doing hiring someone that killed a child? And so here we are again with a person who is swearing to uphold some kind of law that allows black children, black bodies, grandparents, mothers, daughters, um, and the rest to be treated without incident. We're seeing um, how um, our late brother Jalen Walker had 90 rounds fired upon him, 60 that landed, and that he was brought to the medical examiner's office as though a bounty. And so it is incumbent upon all of us as a community to make sure that this pressure campaign continues to come. He should never have a job. He should always have to suffer to eat, to provide for himself, to hopefully use a washcloth and wash his nasty behind. He should always have to pay for that, for taking someone's child out of this world in uh, 2014, in 2012, excuse me, um, can't recall what year it was, but... Very glad that the pressure came. It was. Uh, it, it took work. place. It took place in 2014. 2014, and so glad that the pressure campaign that people are saying um, woke and paying attention, and that we have to continue to follow uh, this type of um, leadership that we continue to see. Just keep his name um, at the top of the fold, Timothy Lilman. Uh, Greg, this is why. Uh, look, I and others believe there should be a national database. Cops involved in these type of shootings, names should be there uh, because, frankly, they should never, ever have a badge or a gun. Absolutely. And, Reese, I think about you since you probably say something about this. All that legislation that was stalled in the United States Senate after it passed the House that was trying to get to the president of the United States desk, this is one of those things. And, again, mm -hmm. Tim, Michigan, Scott, you race traitor, uh, lining up to block these kind of things, you're responsible. But for all of these failures, including that lack of a national database. But let's be very clear. Killing Tamir Rice was probably like a letter of recommendation for Loman in, in that little borough. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, y'all look up the uh, uh, the census count, the 2010 census. Uh, I, I hope for their sake that the number of people in Tiahoga in that little borough changes, because according to the 2010 census, the number of people who lived there was six, six. Six. The point I'm trying to make is that this <laughs> boy is coming east. <laughs> now he's four miles, he's four hours from Cleveland now. He's coming east. He's right on the New York, Pennsylvania border trying to get a job. And that photograph you showed, 
the white dude swearing to me, it looked like he had on an open-collar version of that shirt that Brittany Griner's lawyer had on in that picture in Russia. My point is, it's easy going, easy like Sunday morning. And, and as you often say, as we often remember, of course, uh, the old saying that Pennsylvania is Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, and Alabama in between, he's welcome in those boroughs. And the only thing that's going to stop that to exactly what you just said, Erica, is we got to keep the heat on. Just like BG's mm -hmm. people and all of us who support her banged on the government, even though the government is involved in a geopolitical game, we got to bang on people like this. You should not know a minute's rest for the rest of your natural life. And then when you die, then the problem starts, because then you're going to take it up with Tamir. Then you're going to oh, take it up with uh, with George Floyd. Then you're going to have to deal with Brown yeah. and Taylor. See, the ancestors waiting on your ass. Oh, that is, if you're close enough to deal with them, because you might actually be with the other people in the 666 borough uh, that you almost got hired. <laughs> hey, what's the, what's the... <laughs> you know, Reese, you know, you know, Reece, when, you, when you think about uh, this case, uh, the fact that, you know, there's so many officers, they get hired by the neighboring uh, city, the neighboring mm -hmm. county. Uh, and this happens over and over and over again, not just in this case, but uh, cases all around the country where these cops keep finding law enforcement jobs, keep having badges and guns. Yeah, because as Dr. Carr said, it's, it's a feature, not a bug, that they have these records. I mean, I think it is important to have the national database, which is what the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act will be. But the, the, the thing that's going to be the most powerful, which is the most unfortunate part about it, is public shaming and heat as pressure and, and putting pressure, as, as Erica said and as Dr. Carr said. You know, it's unfortunate, though, the same way it is when you have cops who kill people every day, the same way you have people who are killed but not in mass shootings every day. It, it, it's almost like it's only certain cases that get the attention, and then we keep our focus on those, rightfully so. But you have to wonder about all the people that don't make the headlines, all of the cops that, like you said, jump from town to town with no, with, with no repercussions. That's what's really scary, because we know a name, but we don't know all the names of the cops mm -hmm. that are doing the kinds of things that this officer did to Tamir Rice. Folks, the protests continue in Akron, Ohio, uh, in this uh, just shocking and, 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 and sickening case. Black man, uh, 90 shots fired, 90 shots fired, uh, 60 of them hitting him. Uh, Jalen Walker, uh, it, this has been the protests have been going on in Akron, Ohio, uh, since it took place, those arrested uh, recently were Breonna Taylor's aunt and Jacob Blake Jr.'s father. Akron police say protests were peaceful until 8.30 last night when around 50 protesters began to block and disrupt traffic near the Akron police station. Officers deployed tear gas to disperse the crowd after warning protesters. White and Blake joined more than 40 protesters who have been arrested since this weekend. Again, Jalen was shot more than 90 times by eight officers, hit by more than 60 bullets on June 27th. What, what should have been a routine traffic stop, President Joe Biden says, the Department of Justice, they are monitoring this case. Make one serious comment about uh, the shooting and the death of Jalen Walker. The Justice Department and Civil Rights Division of the FBI Field Office in Akron, Ohio, and the local U.S. Attorney's Office are closely monitoring and viewing what happened. The FBI continues to coordinate with state and local partners to provide resources and specialized skill. If the evidence reveals potential violations of federal criminal statutes, the Justice Department will take the appropriate action. And I just want you to know what's going to happen.
the eight officers involved are on paid administrative leave. Greg, uh, I will start with you. Um, again, another example. Traffic stop leads to death. Yes, sir. I mean, we, we've seen this too much. Um, the president of the United States' hands are tied, but some of that rope is rope he spun himself. The front page of New York Times today has an article about how people want somebody to punch somebody in the face. I understand the president of the United States. I mean, this is a country he was born and raised in. He believes in it. He believes in its systems of government. And just like his Justice Department is very likely standing in the way of a prisoner swap, and maybe with, with legitimate concerns, he's saying, sitting there, you know, if this, if that, these four white boys got a damn paid vacation. You kill a black person in the United States, you get a paid vacation. Then you get clean. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. if, if, if something happens and, and maybe you get convicted of something, they ding you up. And that damn uh, white national Supreme Court is chipping away at the possibility of you being dragged into civil court. Oh, don't worry. They're going after uh, these settlements that are being settled. They come from our tax dollars. So I kind of feel for the president of the United States. At the same time, I was shaking my head because I'm saying when you kill a black woman or a black man, a black boy or a black girl in this country, you get a paid damn vacation. Yeah. This is what we're on the verge of now. When the Virgil Blappy was saying, don't take them to court, let them go back to work, dot, dot, dot. Because as these militias ramp up and arm up, as they get ready to try to steal the 2024 election and they all get guns, you know, more and more people are saying, you know, if we're going to get slaughtered, if we must die, then we're going to test the damn Second uh -huh. Amendment. Say I can get a gun? Okay, I'm going to get the strap, uh, license, and boom! I'm not wishing it on you. I'm saying you are daring people. Because if you're just going to get killed anyway, why in the hell would I get shot in the back? Hell, if I'm going to take two in the chest, I might as well. Yeah. What did Jay-Z say? He threw, me, threw two at me, I threw four back. Mm -hmm. Please right. understand, putting these white boys on damn paid vacation for murder is an incentive to get more of them to do the damn same. You know, and that's the thing, um, uh, you know, that, that, that drives me crazy, Reese. Um, eight cops. I, I, when I was in Louisiana for Essence Fest, uh, I was talking with one of the New Orleans Police Department officers, an African-American, and he said, I don't give a damn what those cops say. There is no justification mm -hmm. for eight cops firing 90 shots at one person. Period. And, and, and to further add injury on top of injury, they handcuffed a body that had been obliterated, shot from ankles to his cheeks with 60 gunshot wounds, and they handcuffed him. Even after he was dead, handcuffed him when he when they brought him in for an autopsy. You, That's no different than pissing on his body, spitting on him. That's how much they wanted to degrade him. That's how much vitriol and demonic uh, energy they had towards a person that was just on the traffic, just driving, you know, just driving. So this is this is a soulless, demonic force that yeah. is has a, the the word police written on it, and I don't know how much we can do to solve that. I'm not for all of us picking up arms because I don't think black people have the best aim. Not as good as white folks do all the time. So I would like a peaceful solution. But, and I'm not trying to stereotype, somebody's going to be like, I'm a marksman. Okay, you are a marksman. But <laughs> we are hitting a point where it's, 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 it's going to bubble over because 
60 shots, seven people dead, and one person out of those two situations walks away. And it's not the person who was on a traffic stop. It's the person who killed seven people and walked away. Something has got to give, and yep. I don't know what it's going to take for people to say, we got to figure some shit out because what we got going on right now ain't working. Yep. But this right here, Erica, is why I say it on the anniversary of the George Floyd uh, death, second anniversary. I really hope the families, I really do hope they come together and issue a national statement calling on President Joe Biden to bring them, to bring law enforcement, to bring Senator Tim Scott, Lindsey Graham Republicans to the White House to say, mm. get the George Floyd Justice Act bill back on track. Uh, I said, and I told Attorney Ben Crump, I'm going to see him tonight at this dinner. I'm going to say it again. In fact, I'm probably going to say it because I'm emceeing. I'm going to say it from the podium because there needs to be another an, another attempt at it. Look, they you can't they, they can't say we don't have enough time to get it done. And, I, and what that will do is it will force Scott and Graham to look these black families in the eye and say why we have failed or we can't get it done. So the pressure must continue because this kind of crap has to stop. Oh, absolutely, Roland. And I'm so glad that you use your bully pulpit appropriately to do that. If we could just have more people that would exercise that same level of care. I will say with regard to um, Tim Scott, um, yeah, th that's what I'll call him, Tim Scott, um, that, you know, for him to be reminded of who he is. And I think that continually putting in the face these black families, I think about Jalen Walker's mother, and it really, uh, you know, breaks my heart to have seen and listened to her as she sat in a church, a place she felt safe, a place in his and Lindsey Graham's own state where nine black people were gunned down while having Bible study not that many years ago, um, that that's where she was rocking back and forth, crying, giving an interview Number one, grieving the death of her son, but the way in which her son was executed and executed on body cam for the world to see and executed in a way by these slave patrol agents where they were reloading magazines as though they were hunting, as, as, as if they were hunting an animal. Um, this, when I look at that crowd, the footage that you showed just a moment ago, I'm looking at the restlessness of a crowd. I'm seeing mm -hmm. people that are pushing back against the police, that are refusing and saying, well, if you're going to mace me, mace me. I'm still going to record it. I'm looking at other black men coming to the aid of black men. People are tired as hell. And I think that if these folks think that there is not a bill that is coming due, baby, as soon as you put seed in the ground, it starts to germinate. And those seeds don't come up right away, but they do come up. And so for those eight officers that are on paid administrative leave at the expense of those taxpayers in Akron, Ohio, I hope they continue to stay in the streets. I hope they keep the pressure campaigns up. And I hope that they continue to ensure that um, Jalen's name is not, uh, not lost as we continue to face more and more gun violence. Do not let this black man's name fall to the ground.
All right, folks, uh, hold tight one second. We're going to go to another break, and we come back. Uh, we're going to show you what took place at the, at the White House today. The Presidential Medal of Freedom, 17 honorees, uh, and, of course, luminaries, civil rights luminaries, Diane Nash, as well as uh, Fred Gray. They were honored. Simone Biles became the youngest person ever awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Denzel Washington is an honoree, was not there. We'll explain why. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network. Back in a moment. Of course, I looked up to Spike Lee. Of course, who didn't? I mean, he's a he's a he's a genius. But then also, I was this 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 kid from Brooklyn right. that felt like you know. Give me my damn respect. I, you know, I, I I made this you know this creative art right that people are responding to. And it would have been great if we had the opportunity to sit one-on-one. -on -one. Hold on a second. Okay. Spike. What's up, babe? So I'm in L.A. right now. I got a one-on-one -on -one series with my network, Black Star Network. And I'm interviewing Maddie Rich. I appreciate that, bro. That, that was, that's a big moment, man. That was like, uh, man, that was good. Got me all choked up. That's good. Well, I'm all about connecting. Appreciate that. Hi, I'm Pastor Jackie Hood Martin, and I have a question for you. Ever feel as if your life is teetering and the weight and pressure of the world is consistently on your shoulders? Well, let me tell you, living a balanced life isn't easy. Join me each Tuesday on Black Star Network. For a balanced life with Dr. Jackie. We'll laugh together, cry together, pull ourselves together, and cheer each other on. So join me for new shows each Tuesday on Black Star Network. A balanced life with Dr. Jackie. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Godfrey, the funniest dude on the planet. <laughs> and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Ow. All right, folks, today at the White House, President Biden welcomed uh, 17 honorees, actually 16 of the 17 honorees to the White House, who he awarded for the first time as president the Presidential Medal of Freedom. It's the highest honor given uh, to an American Ladies citizen. The uh, they hail from all walks of life, uh, politics, civil rights, law, sports, you name it. They were all there. We live streamed it on the Black Star Network. Uh, and again, um, again, so these, this is the video of them all uh, walking uh, into the room. And so uh, the president, he introduced each one of the honorees. This is what he first had to say about Simone Biles, uh, the greatest gymnast ever in American history. Congresswoman Gabby Gifford. Simone Biles, the most decorated American gymnast in history, who everyone stops everything every time she was on camera. Just to watch, just to see her. When we see her compete, we see unmatched, unmatched power and determination, grace and daring. 
trailblazing a role model. When she stands on the podium, she sees, we see what she is, absolute courage to turn personal pain into greater purpose, to stand up and speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. Today, she adds to her medal count of 32. I know you're going to find room. <laughs> 32 Olympic and World Championship medals. At age 25, the youngest person ever to receive the Medal of Freedom. The youngest ever. Here's President Biden saluting civil rights icon Diane Nash. As a 23-year-old student at Fisk University, Diane Nash received a phone call from Attorney General Robert Kennedy's top deputies, warning her about the violence at the next stop of the Freedom Ride she organized across the South. She replied, and I quote, we all signed our last will and testament before they left. We know someone will be killed, but we cannot let violence overcome nonviolence. Look at that. With unmistakable courage and unshakable courage and leadership, Diane Nash shaped some of the most important civil rights efforts in American history. A key architect of the sit-in movement in Nashville, after four little girls were murdered at the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, she called for a nonviolent movement across Alabama that planted the seeds that became the Selma campaign two years later. Her activism echoes the call of freedom around the world today. And yet, she is the first to say the medal is shared with hundreds of thousands of patriotic Americans who sacrificed so much for the cause of liberty and justice for all. And by the way, she asked me to make sure to add that because she didn't want to take all the credit herself. One of the folks uh, she knows very well is a 91-year-old civil rights attorney, Fred Gray, also one of the honorees. When Dr. King, Rosa Parks, and Claudette Colvin, and John Lewis, and other giants of our history needed a lawyer for their fight for freedom, you know who they call? They call a guy named Fred Gray. That's who they call him. One of the most important civil rights lawyers in our history, Fred's legal brilliance and strategy desegregated schools and secured the right to vote. He went on to be elected as one of the first African-Americans to Alabama state legislature since Reconstruction. An ordained minister, he imbued a righteous calling that touched the soul of our nation. And at 91 years young, he's still practicing law. He's still... And he's still keeping the faith in the best of America. Folks, uh, Denzel Washington was supposed to be there, uh, and, but the president had this to say uh, about uh, him not being there. 
Okay, sorry, folks, we should have had that. Uh, so he announced that Denzel Washington could not make it. Well, fact of the matter is uh, Denzel Washington tested positive for COVID uh, and was unable to make it. Uh, I was texting his wife, Pauletta. Uh, both were greatly disappointed. But the president did say in his uh, speech uh, that uh, he would be awarding his uh, medal at a later date. Also, the other uh, person, uh, the other uh, individual who was honored was uh, a nurse out of New York, a Jamaican immigrant who was the first person to actually get the COVID vaccine outside of the clinical trials. When she was 18 years old, Sandra Lindsay immigrated to Queens, New York from Jamaica to pursue her dream of becoming a nurse. As director of nursing and critical care, at a hospital in Queens during the height of the pandemic, she poured her heart into helping patients fight for their lives and to keep their fellow nurses safe. And when the time came, she was the first person in America to get fully vaccinated outside of clinical trials. Sandra, as I told you before, if there's any angels in heaven, they're all nurses, male and female. No, for real, they really are. Many of you who have spent a lot of time in the hospital, as some of us have, you know. Doctors let you live. Nurses, male and female, make you want to live. Make you want to live. Shannon's vaccination card and hospital scrubs and badge are part of the Smithsonian National Museum of American History exhibit on COVID-19. Today, she receives our nation's highest civilian honor. And Uh, Sandra Lindsay, uh, again, there, the Jamaican ambassador, uh, Ambassador Marks was there to see that take place. Other people there, Senator Alan Simpson, Cindy McCain, accepting the award on behalf of her late husband, Senator John McCain, uh, Lorraine Powell Jobs, uh, the widow of Steve Jobs, was there, also founder of, uh, uh, first of all, there were other, other people who were there as well, just amazing individuals. Former Congresswoman Gabby Giffords uh, was there as well, uh, a strong, strong a proponent of uh, gun laws and so many others uh, who were receiving the awards. Now, when it was all over, uh, there was a, there was a, uh, a pianist that was playing different music, and then all of a sudden, begin to play, lift every voice and sing. And of course, when that happens, black folks gonna sing the song. there in the room shooting that video got a chance to talk to a number of people afterwards or talk about this important day uh first up is the mayor of montgomery alabama stephen reed of course remember they uh took a twenty-five thousand dollar fire from the state of alabama by taking the name of a street in montgomery uh named after a confederate uh general and putting up uh the name of fred gray here's what he had to say about today's ceremony all right, members, your thoughts, especially uh, your uh, hometown hero, Fred Gray. You know, it, it is great for uh, Attorney Gray and his family. Uh, we're honored uh, that he calls Montgomery and Tuskegee home. Nothing more important than anything. It's great.
great that his work has been recognized, his dedication, his longevity, uh, all of the things that he wanted to do in terms of striking down segregation, he did. And I'm a beneficiary of that, and so many of us are. So it's great to be in this moment, being a witness in person. Got it. Former U.S. Senator uh, Doug Jones uh, caught up with him as well. Uh, just uh, obviously there are some big names up there, but being from Alabama, uh, just your thoughts about Fred Gray? Uh, my, you know, my, my, my friend Fred, my hero Fred, absolutely long overdue honor. One of the unsung heroes of the movement. I, I'm not sure how far the movement would have got without a brilliant young Fred Gray really putting his career, his his life on the line, uh, an amazing man, and and still going. I mean, still going. You just he doesn't oh, yeah. age. Ninety-one years old, he, still practicing law. He doesn't age. It's just phenomenal. I'm so happy for him, his family, and frankly for the state of Alabama. All right, appreciate it. Thank you. All right, that was again former U.S. Senator Doug Jones uh, of Alabama, uh, Simone Biles. Uh, she actually stopped by uh, the area where they, all the microphones were set up there, uh, and she talked about uh, what it meant to be the youngest uh, recipient ever uh, and several other questions that we had a chance to ask her. Here is Simone Biles. Sorry. What's up, H-Town? Simone, how do you feel? Just tell us your feelings about today, special day. Well, hearing that I was the youngest, it was a huge honor. It's kind of scary because it is the best um, award you could receive for your whole life so now it's kind of scary like oh what do i do now but it's it's a huge honor i'm excited to be here especially with my family my agents all the other recipients so it was a it was an exciting morning what message do you think this honor and receiving its young sons to young women across the country yeah i think it really um will teach them you can put anything you can do anything you put your mind to and to just speak up, use your platforms, be authentic, be yourself, um, and stay true to yourself and just go out there and have fun in whatever uh, your adventure is. There have been folks honored in other sports, basketball and football, for yeah. you, but would this be gymnast, gymnastics, uh, how critical is that? Yeah, I think it's really exciting because it shines a good light on our sport because our sport is so fun. It's so incredible. Um, we've had kind of a cloud over it the last couple of years, so to put um, some sunshine feels good. Well, where does this accomplishment rank among all your other accomplishments? I think it's definitely at the top. Um, for me, obviously, going to the Olympics and winning all of those medals, I put in so many years of hard work and stuff, but to be recognized from the president and everything else is really special. Did the president okay. share any message with you when you were speaking with him today or on stage? Yeah, he just was saying how courageous I was and how we kind of need more um, young people like that so it was really exciting to hear that and to know that um, my hard work is paying off especially using my platforms because he said um, that's why they chose me as well. Okay, any message to a foster child out there? Sorry? Any message to a foster child out there who's watching this? Yes, um, I support you, I believe in you, um, keep up the great work, you can do anything you put your mind to and we're trying to do as much as we can for the foster community. Dennis Archer, former mayor of Detroit, former president of the National Bar Association, shared his thoughts. What's your thoughts on these honorees? Uh, Diane Nash, uh, Fred Gray, uh, some historic figures on that stage. I thought it was just outstanding and to see all of us here 
celebrating the recognition of what they contributed and what they meant to all of us. There's so many people I know would love to be here, and there was a link. I think if you got on it, you could see it even though you're not here. I want you to know that I've been enjoying watching you on television. I appreciate it. Uh, I thought your interviews uh, have been outstanding, and they show great respect for your contribution to what you've done and do for all of us. I will do. Well, you know, I got to represent an alpha. <laughs> I appreciate it. Good seeing you. Folks, uh, Kazir Khan was one of the 17 honored. Uh, I met him a few years ago. Uh, he's a big fan of mine, and uh, we had a good conversation uh, outside of the White House about what uh, it meant to be uh, a Medal of a Presidential Medal of Freedom winner. Here's our conversation. First and foremost, uh, how did it feel to be uh, to get the uh, nation's highest honor? I am, I am humbled, I'm honored, I'm grateful to President Biden, and I'm grateful to, to his administration for being the champions of diversity, equal dignity, uh, and I accept this on behalf of all immigrants. I am a first-generation immigrant to this country, came uh, empty-handed and uh, received amazing love and support uh, and have built nothing to something and uh, then to receive this recognition it means so very much to me i feel that uh, that journey is moving forward because there is so much more that still needs to be done to uplift uh, so many americans that still have not shared american dream uh, so it's a reminder that that journey continues and uh, we will continue to speak, we will continue to come together and together we will defend our foundational values so that the journey could complete. Uh, without effort, without a struggle, our civil rights would have not been possible. Uh, it was the valorous uh, uh, action and struggle that we have civil rights now. Uh, but it's still more needs to be done, more shall be done. So it is in that uh, struggle, in that effort that I accept this award. You were uh, quite emotional a few times up there. Yes, it's, it's, a, it's a realization of how far I have come. Because I'm a testament to, to not having anything, to having so much. Uh, and sometime as a human being, it could be uh, overwhelming uh, to come to full realization is standing next to the president of the United States and realizing that uh, uh, in the authoritarian dictatorships uh, I did not matter I was no one here I am receiving receiving the this nation's highest recognition uh, so for that reason uh, and it reminded me of uh, my son as well, that he would have been so proud today. All right. We certainly appreciate it. Congratulations. Thank you. Always good seeing you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. The Secretary of Health and Human Services, Xavier Becerra, we caught up with him afterwards as well. We were talking to him about the uh, the positive COVID designation of Denzel Washington, and he said, we got to stay vigilant. It's still real. In Connecticut, where we 
really had a, a great time with the family that had just vaccinated their six-month-old daughter. And that's what we want people to know is today we've got a way to stay alive, stay safe, and stay healthy. It's the vaccine. Six months and above, you can get vaccinated. So we'll get vaccinated. And do we need to wear masks on the outside, especially as this is so contagious? Because before the thought was, we don't need to wear masks on the outside. If you are in an area where there is high level of con contamin uh, excuse me, contagion, if you are in a, an area where there's high level of contagion, it makes sense to wear a mask. You don't need to wear a mask everywhere. If you're outdoors, it's a lot easier to go without it. But if you're, in a, if you're outdoors in a, a space where there's a large congregation of people, be smart, uh, be safe, do what you think is gonna work best. If you don't, you don't get into any kind of vehicle without buckling up, you should not do anything about dealing with COVID without using all the safety precautions you can. Thank you, sir. Yeah, we did have an opportunity to ask him his thoughts about today's uh, ceremony, uh, and here is the secretary. Marines there, uh, who were you most excited to see uh, be honored by the president? You know, I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, I've known some of them for years. Some of them have stories that are compelling, especially for someone of color. Uh, but I will say something. Uh, given the, today's circumstances, Alan Simpson, Senator Simpson from Wyoming, Republican, he and I have a deep friendship, not because we agreed on so many things, it's because we were able to disagree and still be friends. And I have great fond memories when I served on the Simpson-Bowles or Bowles-Simpson Fiscal Commission. He was nothing but a gentleman, and I probably, of all the people, wanted to, as a friend, say something to him. But I will tell you, you had giants in that room, giants who fought for civil rights, giants who fought for the respect and dignity of others. You know what? It's great that we do this for Americans because it, it shows who we are. But it was great. It, I got a kick out of seeing Alan Simpson. Denzel. The guy's about two times my size, but it was great to see him. And Denzel didn't show up because he had COVID. That's right. It, I think everybody in that room was there because they wanted to see Denzel Washington. So uh, we'll have to come back again, right? But, yeah. but, but well, what does that send to, what message does that send to America that Denzel didn't even show up for the highest civilian offer? Uh, award for any person. You know, when, when you're a no-show for your own event, you know, that's how powerful COVID can be. And that's how powerful the message should be. Get vaccinated, get boosted, get your children vaccinated, because we don't want to be sick. You don't want to miss your award ceremony. And he's double boosted. I was texting his wife, so he's double boosted. Listen, I'm double boosted and I got COVID twice. In a month. Same here. In a month. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I probably had every variant you can think of. But, and that's because I got to be around a lot of different folks. Yep. But hey, we, we know what it takes to be safe. We know what it takes to stay alive. Let's do it. Appreciate it. Thank Thanks you, a lot. All right. Now, uh, let's uh, go to our panel. Um, let's see here. Greg, I'm going to start with you. Um, obviously, the, a number of people uh, deserving of these honors. Uh, but I can tell you right now, uh, the loudest applause, Fred, Attorney Fred Gray had his whole section over there. Every living president of the National Bar Association uh, was there. Uh, a number of folks uh, there to cheer him on. And, of course, civil rights stalwart uh, Diane Ash. Absolutely. Uh, I'd like to uh, correct the secretary. It doesn't show who we are. There is no work. There's, there is no we. It shows who, who the people who live here are. It's a, very, it's a minor thing, but actually it's very major. Um, you know, leave it to one of the greatest actors in the history of motion picture and theater 
to steal the scene because now he gets his own individual ceremony. So shout out to Denzel Washington. But uh, that, 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 that haven't been said. You know, Simone Biles obviously deserves that medal. I mean, of course, it's the Medal of Freedom, which means really doesn't mean a whole lot. I mean, it's demographics. It's almost like Democratic National Convention, right? They checked all the boxes. They got Megan Rapinoe for LBGTQ. They got the bipartisanship with Simpson and uh, and John McCain, uh, Richard Crumka, the old labor movement. You know, he's warming up for the for the midterms. But setting that aside, you know, and I know Fred Gray is your friend. You've interviewed him. I suspect you might see him tonight if, 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 if I'm reading the tea leaves here. But, uh, you know, Fred Gray just published a book, and I just got it a couple, uh, couple of weeks ago, Alabama versus King. This is his other book that follows up his memoir, Bus Ride to Justice. And we think about that number 25. Fred Gray was 25 years old when the Supreme Court affirmed the lower court in the Montgomery bus boycott case, breaking the back of segregation in, in Alabama, and by extension, setting that crack throughout the country. So, I mean, if this were a country where there was a we, he'd have gotten that medal along with Coretta and and, and, and along with Martin and, and along with everybody else in Montgomery, E.D. Nixon, Rosa Parks and them, and Joanne Robinson. They'd have got that medal in 1956. But three years later, as he opens his autobiography, Bus Ride to Justice, he went up the steps of the Supreme Court and argued for Dr. Charles Gamillion, Dr. Gamillion in Tuskegee, Gamillion versus Lightfoot, and rewrote the law on gerrymandering. That's Fred Gray. Fred Gray represented the, the victims of the Tuskegee syphilis experiments, the Freedom Riders, he, the some of the Montgomery marches. And shout out to the Alabama State Bulldogs, because that's where he went to undergrad. And I saw my friend Crystal Gregory there singing the Black National Anthem, or the National Anthem, as I call it. Francis Scott Key, I don't know what the hell that is. But, uh, you know, she's an alum of Fisk. And I know she was in that room because the great Diane Nash, a Fisk Bulldog, got that medal around her neck. So that was a beautiful thing to see. Rolling in, and if and when you see Fred Gray, as I suspect you will shortly, I'm a sure wish I could get him to sign Alabama versus King, because my copy of his autobiography is autographed. Fred Gray is not only a legend and a hero; he is—that's what a black lawyer looks like. Everybody, take note of what a black lawyer in America looks like. It's Fred Gray, bro. Well, Greg, if you here in D.C., uh, get down here. I'll make sure it gets signed. Um, and so uh, I have to do, uh, I have to actually, we're at the Mayflower in D.C. I have to do an actual uh, fireside chat with uh, Fred Gray. Uh, and so uh, if you're looking for to get signed, come on down here. I'll make sure it, make sure it happens. Reese, I want to go to you. Some amazing, some amazing folks, obviously, on that stage, beyond Fred, beyond Diane, uh, beyond Diane, beyond uh, Simone Biles, the most decorated uh, woman in uh, U.S. military history as well. And, and one of the closing lines of President Biden, he said to the people on the stage, he said, this is America. This is America in terms of its diversity. Uh, Kazir Khan, Pakistani immigrant on that stage. Uh, Sandra, Jamaican immigrant on that stage. I know that drives them ADOS folks crazy, uh, but that's the reality uh, of what happens uh, in this country. I would say it's the promise of America. It's the America we aspire to, right. but we ain't quite got there yet, because there's the other side of America, which we've seen on the news and which we've talked about. But, uh, you know, ever the cynic, Dr. Carr, I, you know, I, I'm with you on the diversity tips, but I'm going to just set that aside and just go ahead and be happy uh, for the people who were celebrated. <laughs> In particular, for me, Simone Biles being celebrated, I love that it was about, you know, 
I love that it was on the heels of her exercising some self-care and, and putting herself first in terms of the mental health episode that she had at the Olympics, and she was viciously attacked by people like Piss Morgan and others behind it. And so I, I like that she's getting recognized for the totality of her experiences, you know, being an, an, an abuse survivor, her advocacy in that realm, as well as her advocacy in mental health, as well as her accomplishments. So for her to be the youngest um, uh, Freedom Awardee is definitely um, very much warranted. And um, when Denzel comes back, I'm, I'm gonna be at that. Because I had Clay today, so I wasn't able to make it. But I would have, you know, if, it, if I'd have something else to do. But please, I hope that Denzel's award ceremony, I can make it to that one. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, trust me, uh, I was uh, texting Pauletta. Uh, she uh, was she was in tears. They could not be there. Uh, and she said, I really hope Biden uh, presents this in person to Denzel. Uh, and then when she uh, when Biden announced that he would be presenting it later, uh, she sent me the church happy dance emoji. Uh, <laughs> she was certainly happy about that. Uh and, and and I told her I said I said Pauletta, you make sure they don't do that uh, fo- photo only. You make sure there's video and it's live stream, and I'll be happy mm-hmm. to come in and do it for y'all, as long as it gets yeah. done. She said you know exactly that's. She said you know that's going to uh, ac- absolutely uh, get done. Uh, Erica, yeah. your thoughts uh, about today's honorees? Yeah, so I uh, definitely echo Reese in her sentiments around Simone Biles. So. So do um, because we think about children in the foster care system and some of the um, different um, trappings that um, children do fall into. Um, it is just amazing to see how she has flourished and really is a beacon um, and a voice for that community as well. So glad to see her, the nurse, who um, it, her work continues forward with um, mental well-being, and so definitely championing what she did. It was just a pleasure to see. And I took to great heart seeing Mr. Khan, um, and I put my hand over heart a few times. I'm so glad that you interviewed him again, Roland, and showed him to listen to him talk because I can remember in the not-too-distant past um, an orange um, son of a Klansman ridiculing him. And uh, the, you know, the level of strength that it took to address um, someone who defamed not only he... Uh, and his wife, but his son who passed defending this country, something bone spurs and anything that he's connected to know nothing about. So that was really heartwarming to see him, to hear him, to see him be honored in that way. And just really to see all of the people that were there that were being honored in such a beautiful way. Um, it really does kind of give us a, a real set uh, sila, just a moment to pause and to breathe and, and just to really celebrate folks. So um, really glad to see the interviews that you got to know that you were in the house and to see some well-deserving people being lifted forward. Uh, indeed, indeed. So it was great. So folks, just so you understand here, um, I am here at the Mayflower Hotel, uh, the National Bar Association. Um, Ariel, let's get a shot uh, of the room if we can. The National Bar Association, they're having uh, an actual dinner in celebration of Fred Gray. Uh, all of the living presidents are going to be here. Uh, this is the program right here. Uh, we'll show you uh, 
This is the program right here. Uh, President's Dinner celebrating a Presidential Medal of Freedom. Um, the Honorable Fred Gray Sr., uh, Sheila Jackson Lee, Honorary Co-Chair, uh, Terry Sewell, Honorary Co-Chair, uh, and Alicia Hughes is at the dinner chair. So, um, uh, Reverend Alex Chartner was supposed to emcee this, to my understanding. They texted me yesterday when I was in Birmingham asking me uh, to do it. I said, well, sure, as long as we can actually do the show from here and also live stream from the actual ceremony, the dinner. Uh, Christian Clark, of course, Civil Rights Division Head of the Department of Justice, should be here giving us remarks as well. So we'll be carrying all of that right here uh, on the Black Star Network. Uh, so let me say this here. And so, certainly congratulations to all of the winners. Um, but here's, there was one person who I really hope was going to be honored as a part, of, a part of this class. And it was very interesting, Greg, uh, to hear the president uh, mention Diane Nash's role in the Nashville movement. And I'm going, but you got to honor the architect of the Nashville movement. Uh, Reverend Jim Lawson is still with us, 92 years old, uh, gave that eulogy at Congressman John Lewis's. He was the one who trained John Lewis. He was the one who trained Diane Nash. He was the one who trained, uh, uh, who trained all of those folks, James Bevel, all of those folks who came out uh, of uh, who were all SCLC workers. They came through Nashville. I, I really hope, uh, remember in Selma, uh, you had uh, my man uh, uh, Jesse Williams who played uh, Reverend Jim Lawson. He was the one who made the call to MLK uh, to come to Memphis. Uh, I had sent a text message last year to Susan Rice as well as to Cedric Richmond. I said, man, y'all definitely got to honor him. And here's the other thing, and I'm going to go ahead and say it. Uh, and it's very interesting. And out of all of the major figures who round out the king, Reverend Ralph Abernathy, even possibly, has never been a Medal of, of, of Freedom honoree. I think he's deserving. And there's absolutely no doubt, Greg, that Ella Baker should be honored posthumously mm -hmm. with the Presidential mm -hmm. Medal of Freedom. Your thoughts mm -hmm. on those three civil rights figures? Brother, when you said Ella Baker, I thought about Septon McClark, and I thought about Ms. Hamer, Fannie Lou Hamer, and so many yeah. others. Yeah. You know, yeah. this just goes to show you, and, and again, no, I'm, I'm not being cynical, Reese. My eyes are wide open. I, I just don't let America get off for its sins. And I think there may be one reason why Jim Lawson doesn't have one, quite frankly, because he doesn't have a champion. You know, I watched and listened to Congresswoman Sewell over the last couple of days, and she fought. She fought for that medal to hang around Fred Gray's neck. And she'll be there tonight, and I'm sure she'll tell that story again. You know, I'm not sure that the other figures you mentioned have a champion. You know, there's a lot of this is politics. And I all due respect to entertainers and athletes, and I don't care who they are. This isn't singling out any athlete who's gotten one or entertainer that's gotten one. This were a country, a nation, as opposed to kind of place where people had to jockey for position and you got somebody got a cape for you. Then everyone you named and everybody else would have one. It wouldn't just be them. It would be you know, I mean, you name it. Does Constance Baker mildly have one? I mean, we. Could, I mean, if you start talking about sisters who deserve one before just about anybody else, then you got to have her on the short list. I mean, but Ella Jo Baker, without Ella Baker, arguably, you don't have the formation of SNCC in the way that it looked. And if you brought all of the ancestors back who, have, who, who were part of SNCC and brought all the ones who are living together and said, if you could give out one medal, who would it be to? They might say Ella Jo Baker. So, you know, we'll see going forward, but some things you just can't explain. If you don't have a champion, 
you know, maybe if Marcus Garvey had, had the right champion, Barack Obama would have issued a pardon, and maybe Joe Biden would. But you know, you know, there's too much of this is politics, and you can give out as many of them as you want. And so maybe we need to, I think, to to your what you're raising, maybe we need to now just say, you know, if you're gonna have the next black neck around that that metal hangs around who's still breathing while you got a chance, need to be Jim Lawson. That's a good point you're raising, brother. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I will say this here. Uh, there is a, a member of Congress, uh, Representative Rosa DeLauro, uh, who has introduced the resolution to award the Congressional Gold Medal to Constance Baker Motley. Uh, and okay. uh, that actually um, was reported on in February. And so, look, I'm going to be the champion for those three. Um, that is Lawson. Uh, as well as uh, as well as Baker uh, and, and Abernathy, and I can tell you right now, when I interviewed Juanita Abernathy, uh, when she, before she died, I interviewed her in 2018 uh, in preparation for MLK 50. I can tell you that, and, and I'm, and I'm t- telling folks understand, it is extremely painful for the for the Abernathy family to see. Uh, to see folks like Andrew Young, Reverend Jackson, C.T. Vivian, Reverend C.T. Vivian, uh, Joseph Lowry, Reverend Congressman John Lewis, and so many others get the Medal of Freedom over these years, and Abernathy never has. I can tell you for a fact that, I mean, it was, I mean, I mean, we were in there, and Anthony was there shooting with me. You, The pain and the bitterness of that family is evident. And, and there are a lot of people who believe that, uh, that a lot of civil rights people who are still upset with him for writing in his book uh, about Dr. King allegedly having, uh, having affairs the night before he was killed. Uh, but there's no way, there's no way that you can honor a lot of these civil rights folks and you not honor the man who literally was standing right next to King. And as King said, without Ralph, it ain't possible. Uh, and so I just think, again, for history's sake, and I know somebody watching right now or saying, well, Roland, you know, somebody's passed on. Yeah, but it's, impo- it's important for history's sake. Uh, it's important, uh, you know, for that acknowledgement. Uh, and that's why uh, it's important that Ella Baker be recognized. Uh, one, and, and in many ways, Ella Baker, uh, folks, if y'all need, want to go read Barbara Ransby's book on Ella Baker. Ella Baker, in many ways, was like Reverend Jim Lawson. They were not the ones trying to be out front. They were not the ones trying to call news conferences. In fact, if y'all want to see, first of all, go to Black Star Network. You can see my interview with Fred Gray. You can also see my interview with Reverend Jim Lawson. Reverend Lawson said his last image of MLK was MLK in the pulpit at Mason Temple on April 3rd, 1968. And he said to me, and I was exactly where I was supposed to be, sitting on the end of the pew in the back. So he's been a figure who's never sought the limelight. He's never tried to become uh, like when Bob Moses uh, resigned from the civil rights movement. He didn't want to become a civil rights uh, celebrity. Has never been Reverend Jim Lawson. Uh, but folks, you talk. But if you go back and listen, folks, to that eulogy that he gave at Congressman John Lewis's funeral, I know everybody praises President Obama's eulogy. No, the eulogy that was preached was by Reverend Jim Lawson. And that man still sharp in mind at his age and still talking about uh, about uh, a movement building and how to get done, his advice for Black Lives Matter. And, and I'll leave folks with this here. And if y'all see my interview, it was an amazing piece. Reverend Jim Lawson could have gotten 
a deferment for World War II. I think it was World War II. Now, the World War II, the Korean War. He could have gotten deferment because he was a seminary student. This man is such, he was such a nonviolent person. Yes. He chose not to accept the deferment and he accepted federal prison. That's right. To show how much he's against the war. He could have said, he could have gotten deferment by saying, hey, I'm clergy. He said, I'm going to reject your deferment. Send me to prison because I will not go to war. An amazing figure, an amazing story. And again, a lot of people don't, don't know about him. They don't know about the Nashville movement. But if you want to understand the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, if you want to understand SNCC, you have got to look at what the Nashville movement did. And so an amazing figure. And so I hope it happens. And trust me, uh, White House folks will be hearing from me tomorrow about mm -hmm. Reverend Jim Lawson uh, and Reverend Ralph Abernathy, as well as uh, uh, Ella Baker and Reese. I fully expect you <laughs> to drop in a little word to your home girl. <laughs> okay, I got you. <laughs> Just we're making here. sure we clear, Reese. We're here. Uh, okay. All right, y'all. I'm going to go to uh, got got to do that. All right, y'all. I'm going to go to a quick break. You too. When I get back, y'all better be a thousand likes. I don't know why y'all got me having to ask y'all for this, but I'm going to go to a quick break. We'll come back. Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. I'm Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach, and on the next Get Wealthy, what do the ultra-wealthy know that most of us don't? Well, the truth is that there is financial exclusion, and unfortunately, far too many Black folks haven't had access to this knowledge, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about on our next Get Wealthy with Melinda Hightower, a banker who's doing something to share exactly what you need to do to make it into the high net worth status. They weren't just saving just to save. They were saving for a purpose. That's right here on Get Wealthy with me, America's Wealth Coach, only on Black Star Network. We're all impacted by the culture, whether we know it or not. From politics to music and entertainment, it's a huge part of our lives. And we're going to talk about it every day right here on The Culture with me, Faraji Muhammad, only on the Black Star Network. Hello, everyone. It's Kiara Sheard. Hey, I'm Taj. I'm Coco. And I'm Lily. And, and we're, we're SWV. What's up, y'all? It's Ryan Destiny, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. All right, folks, uh, welcome back to Roland Martin Unfiltered. We're here at the Mayflower Hotel for the National Bar Association dinner honoring attorney Fred Gray for being one of the 17 recipients of the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Uh, I have been off for the past couple of days. Reese Colbert uh, filled in for me uh, on Tuesday. Uh, Larry Walker filled in on yesterday. Uh, if y'all want to pull a video up, we were, of course, I had to fly back to Alabama uh, because uh, Deshaun Smith, who is uh, our driver, he was driving the Rover Mobile, our Sprinter, from New Orleans 
back to uh, D.C. with our equipment uh, when uh, he was uh, he was he was basically um, forced to swerve. So there was a white man driving a white Malibu who kept like Deshaun would change a lane. He would change a lane. Deshaun would change a lane back. He would change a lane back. This kept going back and forth. Uh, folks, if y'all could go ahead and uh, play the video uh, if you have that. Uh, and so Deshaun said that he decided to back off. Uh, allowed this guy to go forward, and what this guy did was something that was just absolutely heinous. So what he did was uh, he actually uh, pulled up alongside Deshaun, looked at him, smiled, jumped in front of him, and then slammed on his brakes, uh, causing the Deshaun to swerve. Uh, uh, and uh, the uh, the sprinter flipped over, y'all, uh, flipped over seven times. Uh, Chad Washington, uh, who's driving our other SUV uh, from behind, uh, Chad said he actually thought uh, Deshaun uh, did not make it. If y'all go to my YouTube channel y'all or y'all can go to my Facebook page, y'all can pull a video up, y'all, not show these photos. Come on now, it's a video show. Uh, you'll see the video when we arrived on the scene yesterday uh, to the actual, uh, to actually see it. And so, it's significant. So you see all the damage. Uh, the Robomobile is totaled. It's completely totaled. Now, all these folks, I, I, I posted something on, on Instagram, uh, and the folks have been talking about, oh, y'all were underinsured. No. When we insured the vehicle. We could only insure it up to 125000 It cost 195000 They would not allow us to insure it for more. Uh, and so, yes, we looked at gap coverage and all that sort of stuff. That was a deal. So uh, there's a black upfitter company out of Atlanta. It's the only black upfitter company in America. We are talking with them right now. We're designing uh, our next printer. Uh, they put a rush order in. They contacted Mercedes. Uh, Mercedes has looked at uh, uh, th th what happened here. And in fact, their engineers are studying our video saying that there are safety features exactly what they were supposed to do because what happened was when it was impact, uh, all of the airbags in the driver's cabin, only Deshaun was in the Sprinter, they all came out and pretty much created a cocoon around him. And so he was able to walk out through the front window. Uh, he suffered contusions on his body. Uh, his thumb was injured, but that was it. That was it. We got him, yes, he came out of the hospital later that day. We got him yesterday. We went down to Birmingham. We got all of our equipment out of uh, the Sprinter. Uh, we got to be in Birmingham in a couple of weeks for uh, the um, uh, for the SWAT Media Day. So uh, Sheila Smoot, former journalist, uh, we, we left a number of our items with her. We then loaded the other SUV back. They drove that back. We didn't want Deshaun flying because of a concussion issues. Uh, and so we didn't want him flying because we have swelling in the brain. Uh, so Deshaun is back. Uh, Chad is back. We are, we're so glad that they are well. But y'all see the level of damage uh, to the vehicle. It is completely destroyed. And so we are working right now uh, to get a second one. And so I want to thank all of y'all, uh, folks in Alabama, uh, folks in Louisiana, people all around the country. Uh, they've been calling. They've been texting. Uh, folks were stopping me in the airport uh, yesterday. I was at the White House today. Folks were stopping me there. People had heard about it. Uh, and so we appreciate everybody. Uh, and like I posted on Instagram, uh, we're going to have to, you know, look, Obama is going to cost us probably another seventy-five to $100,000 uh, to, uh, to, to pay for a new one. 
And so uh, that's what we have to do. Uh, you know, I have people talking about, oh, what about all the advertising money? Bottom line, y'all, uh, nobody budgets all of a sudden have to drop another 75000 100000 on a vehicle that we only got 18 months ago. Uh, so, again, I just want to thank everybody for calling and texting. People have been commenting on all of your prayers. Uh, we certainly appreciate it. Uh, look, equipment can be replaced. We've got to replace some of our cameras, other stuff, but you can't replace somebody's life. And so we certainly are glad uh, that, that, that Deshaun uh, is well. Uh, and, and, again, and, and Erica, look, you understand how serious this is, the serious brain injury you suffered last year. Uh, and for him to walk out of that sprinter through the front window uh, with just a, a slight concussion uh, is indeed a miracle. Cool. And I know it's tough for you, Erica. Uh, to see that because what you went through uh, and you've gone through a whole a more than a year of rehab uh, and when you had your accident um, you talked about uh, just how, how painful it was and uh, again there was no one else luckily no one else is in the vehicle uh, and folks this person did this on purpose unfortunately nobody captured his license uh, or nothing but he literally he literally looked at Deshaun smiled at him and pulled in front and slammed his brakes causing Deshaun to have to swerve. Roland, I will say this with relationship to um, Deshaun. Praise God he's still with us. Um, because March 15, 2021, the 18-wheel truck that hit me, the driver did that intentionally as well. He hit my car, which is a Mercedes, thank God, um, German-engineered tank twice from the back. And the doctor that I saw when I got back home said to me that, Erica, it was not only your faith, it was that car that saved your life. And so when people get into their cars, my boyfriend and partner was just talking to me around this. They, they get into their own world. And so that somebody would be so amped up in their car that they would listen that they would literally weaponize their vehicle and cause undue harm to a person is completely, completely sinister. Um, I um, am grateful that my partner sent me a clip of what you shared on social media and I saw kind of your update, but I um, he cropped out so that I didn't see the pictures um, because that's still very difficult for me to see um, car crashes, to be very honest with you. So I stepped away when those um, photographs and video was being shown, but it's important for the audience to see because they need to see not just the crash, but they need to see um, that that was an intentional act um, and that that could have cost someone that, their life. Um, what I will say yep. with regard to Deshaun having that level of accident, my prayer is that he um, is granted um, all of the <clears throat> space that he needs for healing and he is afforded all of the care that he needs and that I'm so, so very glad that he's still here um, with us today to still testify to his life and may he have as much grace um, to heal. Um, Uh, you know, Reese, it's real interesting. Uh, you know, I, I always got these haters out here, uh, and they're like, oh, uh, he asking for money. 
bottom line is this here. You know, we travel around this country covering stories nobody else covers. Uh, and, and the reality is uh, there are going to be HBCU campuses we're going to. There will be places we're going. And I'm fully transparent. Uh, somebody just posted on uh, YouTube, Roland, I think full car insurance will cover your van. Please don't say you're raising money to get a new van. Just say you're raising money, bro. I found that to be misleading. Viewers are smarter. No. I'm telling you exactly why we are raising money. I'm very honest. I don't sit here in front because I'm showing our viewers what their resources are going to. Yeah, and y'all, that's what you took out of Roland's testimony, out of Deshaun's testimony, out of Erica's testimony is, is, is Roland it must be just trying to get some money. Go to hell, bitch. I'm so sick of y'all. Like, like, take a moment and take in what's happening. Take in the lesson. Take in life that's unfolding in front of you. Instead of just always trying to jump in on some bullshit and on some petty shit. Come on. Do better. Do better than that. If you don't want to give, if you ain't got it to give, don't give. But you can shut the fuck up and not give. You don't have to be loud and not give. Nobody is twisting your arms. Nobody is docking your pay. If you, if you have it in your heart, and if you have the ability to give, then give. And see how simple that is? It's simple. But at any rate, whether you give or don't give, I just thank God for Erica, for her being here with us. I thank God for Deshaun. And I thank God for the entire Roland Martin unfiltered family because we are a family. This ain't CNN. This ain't Disney behind us. It ain't whoever Fox behind us. It's a family. And if you don't look out for family, that's that's on you. That's not on Roland. That doesn't speak to Roland's character. That speaks to your character. And if you ain't got it, you ain't got it. I understand it. But don't be a belligerent asshole about it. And, if I can and you know, Greg, uh, Bamans is here. Uh, the, the, uh, Erica, Erica, go ahead. Go ahead, Erica. Go ahead. And I just want to say, with regard with, to what Reese said, to tack on to what she said, it was Roland Martin unfiltered. It was my big brother, Roland. It was my sister, Reese. It was Dr. Greg Carr. It was Dr. Avis Jones Weaver. It was all of RMU staff that was cash-apping me because you don't know what the hell Deshaun is going to have gaps for. So, as Reese said, if you don't have it to give, that's cool. But the bottom line is what Roland does, he's completely transparent about every day a monitor, all pieces of equipment, what he needs, what he's desiring to present excellence to us. And as Reese said, if you ain't got it to give, don't give it. But damn, don't use your keyboard cowardice and type something when he's doing exactly what he's been doing for several years now, which is being transparent, being very honest, laying to bear it, what it is. And so I'm going to make sure the same way that Reese and Roland did that I give to make sure that I am um, acting on the law of reciprocity the same way the Roland Martin Unfiltered family did for me. Greg, uh, Carr, uh, take us home. No, brother, all I can do is echo what Reese and uh, what Erica have said. In fact, right now here in Washington, D.C., there is a whole staff, 
you just got through transporting a dozen and a half of that staff to cover Essence Fest. And it was widely covered on CNN. It was in the New York Times. I saw it all over MSNBC. Uh, wait. Yeah, no, I didn't. But at any rate, that staff that you have has a graphic that they show near the end of every show with all the ways to give. And I'm sure they have it right there. They could put it up while I'm talking, I suspect, so that you don't have to ask them to do it. And I know they will because they are a crack staff. They're volunteers, of course. And they, wait. Oh, yeah, no. Okay, yeah. And so all the shows on the Black Star Network, and it doesn't cost money to get launched over, over the top. Wait. Yeah. And then all the producers who work for the Black Star Network, I mean, you know, they're obviously volunteers. Wait, uh, wait no. I'm trying to think of who is actually volunteering. It might be the guy with the microphone who doesn't take a salary, who does speaking engagements, and who started a whole ass network out of his mind by working for years long before he left those other engagements, whether it be CNN, whether it be TV One, with this in his mind, that this was the vision. And here we are at a watershed moment that has unfolded over the course of the last several years, including two of which, which was a whole ass pandemic. Now, to get to Savannah, to get to Georgia to help get the vote out, to get to Louisiana, to get all over the South, to go on location, to have to cover all the congressional hearings, to have people in front of cameras and streamed forever, permanently on over all these platforms and an archive that can be accessed at any time, you know, it costs money. And so... In a minute, Roland, I hope, you know, you'll remind us of how many people you have, whether it be Instagram, whether it be Twitter, whether it be Facebook, whether it be YouTube, combined across all those platforms. And I agree with my sisters. You know, if you don't have it, don't give. I am going to put some money on it right now as soon as we get off it as I get on a train and head to the Mayflower Hotel. Because guess what? <laughs> I, did not see, I did not see Fred Gray interviewed on CNN. I didn't see Don Lemon in that room today. I didn't see Rachel Maddow in that room. So you want to talk about being such a feminist, why weren't you talking to Diane Nash? I'll tell you why. Because you don't give a damn about Diane Nash. Let me tell you about Diane Nash on the worst day of her life. It's better than the best day of your life, Rachel Maddow. And I'm not, I'm not saying that because you're anybody to talk about. I'm just saying it because some of y'all think that white media is somehow the gold standard. Roland, Roland Martin, you have been and continue to be in those places where our people are. How many people wouldn't know Gary Chambers if you hadn't talked to him? How many people wouldn't know who Charles Booker, you was talking to Charles Booker before he <laughs> blew up. You know what I'm saying? And, and who, today, Brittany Griner, it's a big story now, but how many people would have taken it from the way that you took it? My, my bottom line, if you don't have it, guess what? Everybody who does is making it possible for everybody who doesn't to share this resource. Because last I checked, YouTube is free to us, but it costs you mm -hmm. money to put it together. That, that, look, man, that Rural Bill should be retired by the end of this show. Please, y'all, I know you ain't, I know you were saying wrong, but let me, ask, let me ask for you, brother. Please, team, sitting in that beautiful, uh, and of course, they don't charge you any rent. Wait, oh yeah, they, I guess they do. Put that graphic back up again. Do y'all see the Cash App? Do y'all see the PayPal? Do you see the Venmo? Do you see the Zelle? This is not the Black Star YouTube show, haters. This is the Black Star Daily Digital Network, Roland Martin Unfiltered, the flagship show. And for old folk like my mom and them was, who would write a check out in that precise machine handwriting, P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037-0196. Y'all do that. Let's retire this right now. It should, it should be a new roll roll bill completely paid for by the time. And I should end with this, Roland. 
Did you say it's a black-owned company? Let me tell you about Roland Martin. Uh, Why are y'all talking about this black empowerment and running out and giving your money for tennis shoes and the latest this and that and letting your master have your last dime? Roland Martin looks for black people. Go to his studio. Black art. Black people hung the lights. Black people strained together electronics. Black people all over the walls. He done found a black company to replace it. So guess what? By the time that thing comes here, now not only should it be paid for, we ought to have another reserve to, to 200K. 200K to pay for that. Brother Deshaun, he your brother. And you fool to smile to maybe be watching this right now. Oh, your day's coming, baby. You and that damn 18 wheel wheeler driver that tried to do something to our sister Erica, and but she's protected by something much bigger than you will ever glimpse in your miserable life. So y'all put this on. Well, folks, Sorry, uh, <laughs> well, I certainly appreciate it, Greg, Reese, and Erica. Thank you so very much. I'm about to hop off. I have to go MC this program, and we'll be live streaming this event. Only the Black Star Network is here. Nobody else is here, and y'all make that happen. Folks, I'll see y'all tomorrow. Take care. Holla. that the progress we enjoy today would not have been made possible without the sacrifices of freedom fighters like Attorney Gray. I join the National Bar Association in congratulating Attorney Fred Gray Sr. on his receipt of the Presidential Medal of Freedom. May this award help ensure that his legacy of service and sacrifice continues to be a part of our nation's story for generations to come. Thank you all so much, and thank you, Attorney Gray, for all that you have done for our country. And as a fellow Alabamian, I am forever grateful for what you have done. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, while we are setting up the mic for the fireside chat, I would like to welcome to the dais past president Ben Crump. Roland Martin is going to have a fireside chat with our legend, Fred Gray, and he's getting mic'd, and so we will proceed with that. And next, thank you.
take that long. Got that? All right. Are we on? Got us on? There we go. All right, folks, how y'all doing? Good, good. All right. They call us a fireside chat. What a fire. What's that? What a fire. Glad to see uh, everyone here. Um, uh, I literally just finished doing uh, my show. Uh, they, uh, you know, I don't know. They, they got real black. They texted me yesterday. Hey, Ro, can you do this? I'm like, all right, I guess I'll be back in town. Uh, and we're also streaming this. And so for the folks who cannot be here, uh, they are checking it out. Uh, but it's always glad to see all of you here, National Bar Association, uh, and, of course, uh, seeing uh, Fred Gray. Uh, looking smooth. He had some funky socks on last time I interviewed him last year, and so I see you got them on again, so looking all good. So first and foremost, just um, how did it feel for you sitting on that stage uh, and seeing this moment, the President of the United States providing you the nation's highest honor? Let me first say before I answer your question, you were saying how I'm going to do this here. He got your mic a little messed up here. I'm going to fix it. I want them to hear you. There we go. Okay. Uh, you were saying how uh, you just agreed to do this a day or so ago. So guess what? I found out I was going to be interviewed just a few minutes ago. <laughs> so I'm in your worst state than you are. Now, what was your question? Now, now y'all got to understand, last year, I called, when I called Fred to do an interview, I left a voicemail to talk to him, uh, and his wife, where's your wife? His wife, his yeah, wife heard the voicemail, and Fred, she, Fred said he gets a lot of requests, but when she heard my voice, she said, oh, you doing that interview. <laughs> so when he did it, I thanked her, because she said, no, nah, I don't care who you talk to, you going to talk to Roland Martin. So y'all always getting good with the wife. Or the husband, that way you always get the hookup. So uh, the question, Fred, was, again, sitting on that stage, thinking about all these years you've been a lawyer, and you're sitting there amongst these other dignitaries, and you are being presented with the nation's highest honor by the President of the United States. What, what was going through your mind as you sat on that stage? Well, I went back and thought, and I just sit there on that stage and reflected my on December 14, 1930. Didn't know about that, but I learned about it later. <laughs> and I knew that I was the youngest of uh, five children. My father died when I was two, and my mother only had a two to sixth grade education. And then I thought about how she worked. And I thought about the fact that we were very religious, and they thought I ought to make a preacher. And in those days, basically, a black boy was only be a preacher or a teacher, and if you did that on a segregated basis. So I thought about the fact that our preacher knew about this church, school, National Christian Institute up in Nashville. So he knew. Said Fred needs to go up there. Didn't have any money, but somehow they got me up there. And I went up there and to learn how to be a board preacher. Marshall Siebel, who was one of the pioneer preachers in the Church of Christ, 
took me around another. And I went up here, and he had raised money and brainless people. And so I thought about all of that. Then when I went back home to become a teacher, I realized, and this is 1948, 1947, that everything was completely segregated. I had to use the bus system to go from the west side of Montgomery to the east side of Montgomery. Our people were having trouble on the buses. One man had been killed. And they told me lawyers help people solve problems. And I thought about the fact that I decided I was going to become a lawyer. But first, I was going to finish Alabama State. Not apply to the University of Alabama because I knew they wouldn't accept me. Go to law school, accept some funds that the state of Alabama made for black boys and girls. When the not at the black schools, black colleges at that time. And then I went and went to Case Western Reserve University. All of this came across my mind. And in three years, I finished, stopped back to Lomas and took the bar exam. A month later, took the Alabama bar exam. And on September the 7th, 1954, I was licensed to practice law. I'm now ready to do what I had planned to do, and that was to destroy everything segregated I could find. It was a long way from September 7, 1954, to July 7, 2022, that all came to my mind. And I finally concluded, and I've been through a lot of other things. I was supposed to have had a federal judgeship at, at that time, the longest hearing. Back in, was that, 1980. But it didn't come through. So as I sat and thought, and I knew people had been trying to get this award for me for the last 20 years. And I said, and people have asked me, well, before it came up, what? I said, I'm not going to rejoice until it's all over. <laughs> it's all over now, so I can rejoice for next of this year. You just said that you wanted to tear anything down that was Jim Crow. Um, just speak about the power of the law. There are folks who say, man, you should be in the pulpit, you can save people, leading the Jesus. There are people who say you can run for office, they can, all the, you can be an actor on television, but, but just talk about just the power of the law. I thought early on as a youngster, and maybe I was too naive to realize the reality of it, that if black people were going to be able to do any of the things that needs to be done and obtain the same rights that white people have in this country, it's going to have to be by the law. And when you look at the Constitution, and when you look at the amendments, particularly the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment, 
that was supposed to give us all the rights that white folks had, but we didn't have them. But I also felt that I was naive enough to believe, and I still believe, that ultimately the law, we're going to have to try to work to change it. And I wasn't the first person who thought that. You'd had black people and white people who had been filing lawsuits since shortly after slavery to try to correct the things that I felt in Alabama, at least I would try. And so I thought we would use the law. And as I look back now and think about it, we have basically gotten off the book all of those laws that discriminate based on race. While it's off the books, in reality, we still have it in many instances. So we must now go and finish the job of inequality and racism so that we will be able to enjoy it and have the same privileges that all other citizens of this country have. All right. What do you say to a 23-year-old lawyer today who looks at this conservative Supreme Court, who looks at the decisions they're making, who looks at um, Republican legislatures putting in places voter suppression laws, and I hear this from people who say, man, this thing is stacked against us. There's nothing we can do. What do you say to that 23-year-old today? I say to him, if you go back and look for now. Or her. Or her. When you go back and see any person who's interested in it, from slavery time, when you think from being a slave to being here where we are now, how far have we come? We've come a long way. And how have we gotten here? We've gotten here by using the law. And in addition to the law, people have gotten involved in demonstrations and other things. We did it in Montgomery, the first real mass one, with 40,000 people staying off of the buses for 383 days, and nobody thought it could be done, but we were able to do it. So then we can't afford to lose faith in the law. We can't afford to lose faith in the Constitution. It's on the books. What we've got to somehow be able to do is convince enough people who will be willing to work together and use the law and vote into office the proper people so that they will properly administer the laws that's on the book and other laws that needs to be put on the books. And we so we can elect people from the presidency to the Congress, to the Supreme Court, to our city and county legislature. It's the, the vote is going to be the key to it, and we can't lose fault in that. Especially the fight to get that second black district in Alabama. Especially the fight to get that second black congressional district in Alabama. Uh, that, that's, that's deserving. Uh, it's always interesting when I, when I talk to people, and 
I love it when people talk about Montgomery and the bus boycott and you hear all these different stories about what happened. Uh, you and I had a great interview last year, um, which you said was the best ever done with you. That wasn't me. He said it. Um, but for folk who have no idea, just t share with people exactly how Montgomery happened. You and somebody else sitting at a kitchen table coming up with the idea. This is for all the folk who claim it was their idea. You were there, so share it with us. Well, I think if there were any one person who wanted to get mass participation by black people in Montgomery to solve the problems on the buses, it was Joanne Robinson. Now, Joanne Robinson was a professor of English at then Alabama State College for Negroes, now the Alabama State University. And uh, I was interested. I was not really, it wasn't my idea, and I wasn't particularly interested in the mass participation other than representing them Telling them what the law says. Keep them out of jail. Telling them what the chances are. And if you violate the law, be prepared to enjoy the consequences. <laughs> and realize that you're going to go to jail. And if you decide to go to jail, I'm going to have to tell you what, what could happen to you. And I remember later on, and I'm getting ahead of myself, Dr. King said to me, when they were about to do something, I said, well, here is what the law says. And he says, yes, Fred, but you know what? There's a higher law. Amen. And we are going to go, and if we get in jail, and I said, I'm pretty sure you will. <laughs> <laughs> When we get ready for you, we'll call you, <laughs> and we want you to come and get us out. And you said, I'll be by the phone. <laughs> so after Joanne Robinson had had an experience in 1948 on almost an empty bus, she started working on keeping records of events. And she was a member of the Women's Political Council, a black organization in Alabama and Montgomery that was concerned about all these black problems. And then when, 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 when Claudette Carvin was arrested on March the 2nd, 1955, a 15-year-old girl just studied Black History Month, not sitting in the front 10 seats of the buses, but somewhere else, had just studied about the rights that they had these kids got out of school early. They lived in a section in the northeast part of the city of Montgomery, and, and, and they had to ride the, the public transportation system downtown, then go transfer to the black school. And they all knew never to sit in those seats. However, on this particular day, they got out of school early, and the bus coming from downtown to where they live they walked down there because it wasn't too far. Uh, 
more white people were on that bus than usual. But when they got on, they got on first. They weren't sitting in the first seat. As a matter of fact, Claudette was sitting in the seat right before the back door. So there was two seats, rows of seats in between. And when white people came on and the driver asked her to get up, she says, I'm not sitting in the white section. I'm not violating the law, and I'm not going to get up. They literally had to drag her off. She didn't know anything about Fred Gray. She called her pastor. Her pastor called E.D. Nixon. E.D. Nixon, who was Mr. Civil Rights, called me, said, you need this lawyer. And I represented her. And I thought, and I raised my little objections and saying that this is an honest student, Judge. He's not, he's not, in, uh, uh, not a rabble-rouser, not trying to violate the law, wasn't sitting in the first ten seats. I said, what they were trying to do is enforce the segregation laws. Judge Hill listened to me very respectfully, and before, as soon as I got to, he said, I, I found her to be a delinquent. And put her in the custody of her parents, and she doesn't have to make any kind of reports. So what did you do? She didn't have to do anything, just don't get into no more trouble. Joanne, I, I was sorry about the fact that I wanted to appeal the case. I did appeal it. But Joanne Robinson arranged a meeting with the bus company officials and the city officials, and they said they were sorry about what had happened, but that what they would end up doing, they wouldn't happen again. Then when Rosa Parks was arrested, and people who knew Mrs. Parks, she was a secretary of the branch of the NAACP, she was chair of the uh, youth committee, and when she was arrested, and they said she was charged with disorderly conduct, and her whole demeanor, demeanor was, was not that at all. They said, just this is enough. So when I was out of town, and I'd had meetings with uh, Mrs. Parks from the time I opened my office in October until the day of her arrest. We had our last lunch on December 7th. We had talked about what you ought to do and how what a person should conduct themselves if they decided and they were asked to get up and give their seats. And she went back to her work. I went out of town and she knew I did. When I got back, I found, had phone calls from everybody, including Mrs. Parks, including my secretary, including Joanne Robinson. And when I returned the call, Ms. Parks had come over and talked with me. And I went over, I talked with her, she retained me to represent her. And this was on Thursday evening, it's getting to be pretty late now. And so I said, well, Ms. Parks, you've done your job. I'll get back in touch with you between now and Monday. And she said the trial is set for 8.30 on Monday and the recorder's code of the city of Montgomery, and we'll talk about your case. However, you know, Ms. Robinson wants to get the community involved. So I'm going to go first and talk to Mr. Nixon, who had gotten out of jail, and I knew he was a poor Moncarpoda. He was in town three days and out of town three days. 
And then I'm going to talk to Joanne Robinson and see what we can do. We'll let you know, but you don't do anything else. We don't want you involved in this. You've done enough. I went to Mr. Nixon. Mr. Nixon says, lawyer, well, I understand everything. You know, I've got to get on the train tomorrow and go to Chicago, and I won't be back for three days. But you go on and talk to Professor Robinson. Come, call me and tell me what you want to do. I'll get hold to these preachers because they are the ones that will see people over the weekend, and hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll be able to do something. I went to Joanne Robinson, I talked to her, and I tried to make this as short as I can. This is the conclusions we had in her living room, and only the two of us were there. One, if we're going to ever get the community involved, now is the time to do it. Two, if we're going to do it, we need to have the two black leaders we have here, and that was, I told you about E.D. Nixon, and the other one was Rufus, uh, Rufus Lewis. Rufus Lewis was a former coach at Alabama State, and he had a nightclub, and the name of the nightclub was the Citizens Club, and in order to get in that club, you had to be a registered voter. <laughs> but all he was concerned with was getting people registered to vote, and to have them held accountable. He wasn't concerned about destroying segregation and all of that for a couple of reasons. Number one, his wife, Jewel, was the co-owner of the largest film home in town. And because black film home owners had a monopoly on black business. <laughs> if you end up integrating things, they might lose some business. <laughs> However, there's another part of that story, and that is they have automobiles, and they have drivers, and if we're going to get people to stay off of the buses, we'll need it. So we need him. We need money. To, we need that. So I said, and we concluded that those two men must be involved. Then we also said preachers got to be involved. So we said we got to get the preachers involved. So that was all of that. And then there was another thing you just might need in all of this is a lawyer. <laughs> Here am I, send me. So those were the plans. So we sat there and I, I told, and she said, well, she was talking about staying off the bus for one day. I said, that's fine, Joanne. But suppose it's successful. And they stay off the bus that one day. How are we going to keep them off till I can file a lawsuit and that decision is made by the Supreme Court? So we had to then come up with a plan so that if they stayed off of the buses, we'll be able to stay longer. And what was the plan? The plan was that she was going to get some leaflets out, tell people another black person has been arrested, and we want to stay off of the bus as a protest on the day of her trial on Monday. And then we'll meet at the church and decide where we go from there. So then I told Joanne, I said, uh, and she says, we got to get a spokesman, somebody who can keep us together during this period of time that we stay off. She said, well, I tell you who that is going to be. It's going to be Martin Luther King. 
my pastor. One thing about him, he hasn't been involved in any civil rights work. He doesn't know anything about it. He's new in town. He's a new in town. Only been here a little, about a year. So he doesn't have any followings other than his little small group of people at Dexter. But he can move people with words. I said, well, that's the man we need. So that's fine. I said, Joanne, let me tell you what we need. What a, a good job for E.D. Nixon was easy. He knew A. Philip Randolph, who was head of his labor union in New York. And if we make him the treasurer, A. Philip Randolph will raise some money, and that will help us get that done. Now, what you going to do with Rufus Lewis? His wife, Jewel, is co-owner of the largest film home in town. They have the cars. They have the drivers. You make him chairman of the transportation committee, and what happens? And you'll have the drivers. <laughs> we recommended that to the people. Now, Joanne worked for the state. So it couldn't be known that she was making these plans. And Fred Gray just got uh, barred, <laughs> would be unbarred before we could get barred good. <laughs> so it couldn't be known. So we couldn't let it be known that we were doing this planning. So we planted the seeds and other people and didn't want the credit for it. And when the official meeting was taking place, at Hope Street Baptist Church that night after the people had stayed off to the bus and after Miss Parks had been convicted, Dr. King was selected to be the spokesman. E.D. Nixon was selected to be the treasurer. Rufus Lewis was selected to be the chairman of the Transportation Committee. And a young lawyer just out of law school was selected to be the lawyer for the movement. Right. And the rest of it is history. <laughs> I have one final question. They gave me the five-minute uh, uh, signal ten minutes ago. Um, but deal with it. It's Fred Gray. Um, out of all the legal things you've been involved in, and whenever I ask this question of entertainers, they always tell me it's a song most people don't like and never even heard about. What do you consider to be your greatest legal accomplishment? I consider every one of the cases that I tried and that the Supreme Court of the United States agreed with the philosophy or agreed with in all of those were involving discrimination, racial discrimination. I wasn't involved in these other forms of discrimination. They're fine. But all of those cases from the buses to protecting rights in NAACP versus Alabama, or Alabama versus NAACP, to gerrymandering and Gomillion versus Lightfoot, to rights of students in St. John Dixon versus Alabama Board of Education, to the jury discrimination cases, all of these cases, and of course all of your school desegregation cases because the file cases that uh, prohibited discrimination from kindergarten all the way to graduate and professional school. All of those cases is all cases that I think did that job. Hey! 
And I will throw this one out. What was the, there was a case that you were involved in that dealt with uh, one of the church denominations uh, in uh, African-Americans and their money? What was that? Uh, there was a case you were involved in that dealt with uh, one of these church denominations uh, and black pension funds or something along those lines. Someone sent me an, an article. Uh, they said that you were involved in this case. I don't know if it was the Church of Christ or, or one of the denominations that you were involved in. Oh. They said that was a very that significant that people very rarely talk about. Oh, you're talking about segregation in uh, educational institutions, private institutions. Mm -hmm. that's what you're talking mm -hmm. about. Because mm -hmm. I have I have sued state institutions that discriminated against. I filed a lawsuit, and I don't know whether you're thinking about the one that we filed against David Lipscomb College in in Nashville, which is a Church of Christ related yes. school. And I went to NCI in Nashville for high school, which was a Church of Christ-related school. And A.M. Burden, who was a rich white man in Nashville, supported both of those schools and supported uh, Brother Keeble, who carried me around. And they closed our school and decided to make scholarships available to black students at David Lipscomb. And I didn't think that they should do that. And I ended up filing a lawsuit. I lost the lawsuit, but I went in on the, on the final analysis. They gave me an honorary degree. And that school, and David Lipscomb, has been supporting the Tuskegee Human and Civil Rights Multicultural Center, which is the history museum in Tuskegee, Alabama, that all of you need to come to and all of you need to support. Amen. And that is what the men in the Tuskegee syphilis study wanted done. So all of these things kind of come together. And I may not have answered your question. You did. You, you answered did. it. You answered it. But you answered that, it. That David Lipscomb has paid, uh, has contributed substantially for five years a substantial amount. And as a result of that, we've been able to keep the doors open. But then I would go around and make speeches, and the money would go to the History Center, but I haven't been able to do that now. So that museum stands a chance of having to be closed unless you and the three organizations here who are sponsoring it will help us keep the doors open, and that's one of the things I want you to do. So how much, how much, do, you, how much do you want to raise? Huh? How much do you want to raise? How much do we want to raise? See, I'm a firm believer. Look, it's like church. I need a number. A million dollars. A million dollars. A million dollars will get us a good start. A good start. A million dollars. That's it. Okay. Let's get started. All right. Well, we can, we'll, right. That's why I'm like, as in the words of Frank Lucas and America Gangster, I'm going to get that money. Um, <laughs> good. A million dollars. And so if somebody who's watching live stream, they want to support, where do they go? What's the website? Where do they go? Uh, let me get a, a I'll look, website. I have to get I'll it. look it up. I'll get a real type for you. We'll send it out there. So the target goal is a million dollars. Uh, and so, um, Ben, you gonna lead that? I'm a leader. You gonna lead that? I'm leading it for my frat brother. Okay, you do that. What, what frat is that? <laughs> oh, and the greatest now. You know. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's, it's a nice you group, but uh, here's Fred. So uh, he has the website. Fred, give me the website. So you know what? So we go, we go. I'm gonna go ahead and do this here uh, yeah. since we, since we're here. Uh, no, Fred, uh, uh, do this here. You get your phone with you. Stand right here. Uh, and so, uh, let's do this here. Uh, let's, uh, are there, are there commitments in this room right now starting at $10,000 for your museum? 
what? Yeah, what, what, so what? Uh, what? What? Two, no, no, I said, no, we start at 10, bro. This ain't my first rodeo. Yeah, you know, come on now. Yeah, so what? What you got? Uh, what? What? Two, over, 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 over two years? Huh? Like, over five years? Bro. Hold up, hold up, Fred. What? what? As long as we can get some to keep it open right away. Cool. So what we do is we say five-year commitment to raise a million dollars. That's fine. Okay. Ben Crump, you in for 10? Okay. Write it down. All right. Here we go. I, I don't play. All right. Where right here? I want you to write, write that down. All right. We got 10,000 here at this table here. I got. I, I see Rodney. Rodney for 10,000. All right, that's three at 10,000. All right, anybody else? Anybody say 10? All right, 5,000. Level of 5,000. Well, first of all, Fred, put me down for 10,000. And this alpha, I don't need five years. All right, so we got four at 10,000. Uh, and then, okay, 5,000, 2,500, 1,000. All right, so I got, I see, I see a woman in the back, get a, hand her a card. I see Spencer hand him a Just card. I see, a, I see the woman at this table hand her a card. Uh, I see uh, three hands here. We got you got you have five thousand. All right. I see two hands here uh, at a thousand. Say it again. Five thousand. I need I need right here in the white. Right here in the white. Right here in the white. Right here. Give her the card. Right here. Give her the card. All right. Anybody else at a thousand? All right. Right here. Right here, Maurice Foster, the thousand. Gotcha, that's about ten, and I got about four. Okay, it's fine. So we probably at about eighty or ninety thousand. So I'm gonna throw out five hundred. Let's get to a hundred thousand. Uh, who committed five hundred dollars? Just raise your hand. Now hand your card. I got a table here, one here, woman here. Uh, I got two here. Anybody up here? All right, right here. So we had about 90, 95,000. So, friend, we almost at 10% of what your goal is. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. Uh, let me tell you. Final word from, I, 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 got, I got you, Doc. <laughs> but here's, I learned a long time ago, never let money lead a room. Fred, final comment. Go ahead, Fred. What I need you to do, I think he has a pad. Let's circulate the pad. So that we can have your name and your contact information. Oh, yeah. We handed them cards. They all got cards. They have cards to fill to out. What, to put their name on it. And get back to us. Because see what, what you can do. If you do this, there are some major corporations over the country who will help us. There are some educational institutions who will help us. But I'm just so happy that we start here to show if these organizations have enough faith and confidence in me. That's right. And I've been a member of all three of them for a long time, almost ever since I've been a lawyer and one before that time. Then they will know that we mean business. Absolutely. And we will keep that open. And it will also encourage these other lawyers who are now working on phases of civil rights, which is even more difficult are equally as difficult as we That's had. Right. And if they know that we, those of us who are here who made this type of commitment, we could end up raising enough money so that we could even expand that museum so that it can do, and it does three things, so I can tell you all of it. One, I told you, it's a permanent memorial for those men, and the federal government ought to help us. 
They help Tuskegee University, and I'm glad they're doing it. They have a bioethics center where they've gotten multi-million dollars from it, and I helped them to do it. All we're saying is the federal government ought to also help the Tuskegee Human and Civil Rights Multicultural Center. And as I sat up there in the East Room, the last time I was there is when Mr. Shaw, a participant in the study, said to the president, we've started this, we want a permanent memorial for it, and we want you to help him. And the president said, we're going to help you. But he thought he was talking about the Bioethics Center at the university, and it did. I wrote him a letter, and in bus ride, and in the Tuskegee Syphilis study, you see it, where I told the president, we appreciate what you're doing, we want they, that, but we also, the men were talking about, they didn't know anything about bioethics, but they know about a memorial, and he talked about it. That's what it is, and I appreciate it. All right. Fred Gray. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen. Let's give Fred a round of applause. Thank you so much, and thank you, Roland. Thank you. For a great interview. Thank you, sir. We will proceed now with dinner. Dinner is served. Uh, <laughs> I know you guys are hungry. Uh, so we will have dinner, and then we will have, uh, in just five minutes or so, I just want, I don't want a lot of clattering of the plates while their next speakers are up. So let's just move forward. Get the, get the main courses down, and then we'll have our next two speakers. Let's go.
I gotta, I gotta give this to Terry and Jim. Thank you. 